Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. We had a wild weekend in sports. Tons of comebacks, failed comebacks, close games, playoff clinching, playoff eliminating, fights, injuries. Everything has happened over this past weekend. And we've got Luke filling in for Colin this week to, uh, to tag along. I'm so ready for the Luke doubleheader, man. Yeah. This is a this is a this triple is gonna header. be badass triple header. You were on last Thursday. Now we have you oh here. yeah. Now we're gonna have you this Thursday or this Friday. We've got Luke three episodes in a row. Yeah, a little MJ three peat here. Yeah, and if, back from the flu like MJ. Now I'm three peating like MJ. <laughs> and if anybody needs an update on Colin, um, he's probably sunburnt and drunk in Florida. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah. And I think that's the most accurate update I could give. So, um, yeah, we let Colin go on vacation, and um, he'll be back next week. But nonetheless, we had a crazy week in the NFL, so that's obviously where we'll start. But also the MLB, talk about the playoff picture and, of course, everything that happened. Then we'll talk about college football week three, though I know Luke's not quite a college football expert, but uh, none of us really are. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we'll go through our regular things with college football. So the games from the weekend, the AP poll, and then the best matchups of next week, which is possibly the best week in college football this season. And then um, if we haven't taken it on too long, we'll talk a little bit about the Prem last weekend, and uh, we'll round it out with questions time. Let's get into it, man. All right. Yeah, let's get started. NFL Week 2. We already kind of talked about the Thursday Night Football game on Friday's episode, but... In case you missed it, Eagles won 34-28 over the Vikings in a heated battle. Yeah. And um, a, a, just a, a very good game to watch overall. Yeah, and I honestly expected nothing less. Two very talented um, two very talented teams with, you know, playmakers all over the place. Um, and I knew it was going to be a shootout, too, especially, you know, with them being offensively uh, high-powered. But... You know, the bigger story out of this game for me was uh, my Super Bowl prediction. The Vikings and the Bengals are 0-2. Yeah. So uh, if I could have a redo, that would be pretty nice. Nope. No redos <laughs> here. We can only admit our losses and move on. Uh, oh, but I, I know we talked about it on Friday, but DeAndre Swift rushing for 175 yards is absurd. Following his yeah. week one performance of one carry for three yards, he gets 28 <laughs> carries for 175 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Hurts still not playing amazing. It seems like this offense is very much changed with Shane Steichen leaving. Yeah, um, Jalen Hurts is kind of more now kind of like a um, almost like a Brock Purdy situational role. Um, it yeah. seems like for the first two games, he he did carry the ball 12 times for 35 yards and two touchdowns, though, on top of the one touchdown and one interception. Um, pretty accurate also as well. Um, only threw the ball 23 times, which is kind of weird, you know, having Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown. But. I mean, the Eagles offense still seems to be rolling, even with Jalen Hurts kind of um, stepping down from like an elite quarterback role. Yeah, he's doing a good job of kind of playing like, like whenever the Ravens are doing really well, it's when Lamar like does pretty well in the passing, pretty well in the rushing. That's what Jalen Hurts is doing right now. It's not the yeah. great side of Jalen Hurts that we saw last year, but 
it's this side of Jalen Hurts where he's just going to do whatever his team needs to do to win, and this just happened to be giving the ball to DeAndre Swift 30 times. Yeah, and um, it was a super close, entertaining game, and it yeah. really co- came down to that uh, Justin Jefferson play. Yeah, that was the game changer. The yeah, and I mean, <laughs> dude still had 11 receptions for 159 yards. I mean, yeah. you know, just typical Jerry Rice 2.0 things. <laughs> um, but, you know, I also want to highlight Jordan Addison once again having another effective week in this Minnesota offense. Like, I knew he would. Um Hawkins socks looks amazing. And uh, really, it's just Alexander Madison. Yeah, um, he sucks. Is, he does suck. Um, I will admit that. I, I was wrong about him. Once again, <laughs> I prove myself correct. Yes. <coughs> uh, oh, but <clears throat> crazy thing is just that the whole NFC North sucks. <laughs> really? The whole division. Yep. The Lions are uh, coming away with it, I think. Ugh. I guess that's what it looks like. Maybe. Dave Montgomery. I, mean, I, I still think the Vikings are the best team in this division. They're just 0-2 somehow. Yeah, I agree. But let's talk Bills-Raiders uh, so we actually get into the games from the weekend. Bills take it 38-10 <laughs> over a, a little bit of a beat-up Raiders team. They're missing a guy who was fantastic week one in Jacoby Myers. He was out because he hadn't cleared concussion protocol. And... The Raiders' offense just could not get it going. No, not at all. I mean, uh, I think your your main tell here about the Raiders' offense is Josh carries. Uh, Josh carries. Josh Jacobs had nine carries for negative two yards. How do you have negative two yards on nine attempts when you're Josh Jacobs against a? I mean, I, I wouldn't say the Bills' defense is crazy. I mean, they have some guys, but yeah. are they really that good? Um. Yeah, it's just a brutal game on the ground for the uh, for the Raiders. They only ran the ball 15 times for 55 yards among, like, four players. Yeah. Um, which is just ridiculous. But I think a tell out of this Raiders run game is with Josh Jacobs kind of struggling, I want to see Baby Zeus with the ball more. Yeah. Baby Zeus, a.k.a. Zamir White out of Georgia, I think he's highly underrated. Yes, he did fumble in this game, but he was averaging like 5.5 yards a carry with his uh, four carries and 22 yards in this game. So I'd like to see more of him, honestly. Yeah, I'd like to see more. Like Whenever Josh Jacobs isn't running the ball well, you know you can still pass to him. So it's not like, it's not like yeah. he's useless if he's not running the ball well, but that means you just need to mix in Zamir White more because Zamir White is a talented strong running back that can be used in a lot of situations and it just seems like the Raiders won't use him. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I mean, it, it makes sense because Josh Jacobs on a healthy day, shit, we've seen him carry the ball 30 times, you know, yeah. receive like four to five passes. He can definitely play, you know, the entire time, but you know, with them struggling uh, and with Josh Jacobs, especially struggling, I would like to see more of Zemir white in the run game to maybe, you know, help Josh Jacobs out energy-wise going forward. Yeah, I agree. But on the Bills' side, Josh Allen's back. That Jets game was obviously a fluke. Uh, Josh Allen's not bad, in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> 31 for 37, 274 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. James Cook yeah. looked phenomenal. 17 yes. carries, 123 yards. And then Damian Harris and uh, Latavius Murray both get a touchdown in this game. The Bills could do no wrong on offense in this game. 
No, absolutely not. And another guy that I want to highlight is Dalton Kincaid, the tight end rookie out of uh, Utah. Looks absolutely phenomenal through two weeks. Um, Much more effective than Dawson Knox was. And I thought Dawson Knox was pretty good. Yeah. I I think Dawson Knox just kind of played his role of like the scapegoat for Josh Allen. Dalton Kincaid can actually do things outside of just being like, you know, a safety blanket. Of course, yeah. And we got to see a good game out of uh, Gabe Davis as well. Um, yeah. Played better than Stephon Diggs, honestly. And it was uh, it was fun to watch. Definitely was. So the Bills kind of get things back on track with their win. The Raiders, for me, like, I, I don't see much in their future. They're just not well-rounded enough. Um, So... You know this. This I think this game was pretty telling. Their offensive scheme isn't working. You can't throw the ball a lot in a system where Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback. I think we all knew that going into this season. With Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, yes, you have talented wide receivers and Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers, but you have a quarterback who is made for like twenty-five passes a game. Yeah, and, and so they you, you have to keep, Yeah, and you have to keep running the ball. Like you're not going to win games by putting it in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. No, which is unfortunate because you have guys like Devontae Adams on the team who are still going to have good outings, but Yeah. You know, with, with Jimmy G out there and with it being really only Devontae Adams, they don't really even have a tight end anymore cuz they don't want to use um Oh my god, I can't even think of his name right. Michael Meyer or Mayer the rookie tight yeah. end. Um, you know, you like you said, you can't pass the ball. And I mean, even here, yeah, they only gave him 24 attempts, but he still threw two picks and under 200 yards. He's not good. He's highly overpaid, and Vegas really fucked up. Yeah, so. definitely. Yep. But uh, let's talk about my Falcons. 2-0, and baby. Tied at the Half. top of the NFC South. <laughs> they win it 25-24 over the Packers, and... Uh, the question I'm asking, is Desmond Ritter a good quarterback? No. Okay, I'm glad he's that's doing. He's doing just enough, though. Exactly. And with, with the the running backs that the Falcons have, and I'm sure you know, oh, it, yeah. it may not even matter. And Desmond Ritter here, he still rushed 10 times, 39 yards for a touchdown. That's not bad. Um. So I, I really like what the Falcons' offense has become. It, it's very... It's unconventional, and it might be boring to some, but personally, I don't think B. John Robinson is all that boring. That dude is Definitely a fucking not. stud. So. And neither is Tyler Algier. He is so good at extending runs. He gets stuffed at like the line of scrimmage and somehow turns it into a five-yard run over and over again. Yeah. it's uh, He's unbelievable as well. Yeah, but Desmond Ritter just kind of did his job in this one. He wasn't that accurate. 19 for 32 is definitely not good. Um <laughs> One touchdown, one interception, very even. He only got sacked once, and it was only for two yards. That's what I like to see. He's not trying, like, though he's willing to run, he had 10 rushes, he's not trying to make anything out of nothing. Like, he- he's just going to drop the ball off to somebody. It- you know, he and-, and that proves pretty true when you see that Bijan had four receptions for 48 yards, but most of his receptions were checkdowns. Yeah. Um, and, and it like the crazy thing is, is the Falcons offense is still able to do this while disrespecting Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what's crazy is <laughs> Johnu Smith. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
four receptions for 47 yards and six targets. Kyle Pitts is over here, two receptions, 15 yards with five targets. He just simply needs the ball more, even if he's covered. Yeah. He needs I, to have the ball. And the thing is, is like, why are they not throwing the ball deep to him? We saw Desmond Ritter throw that deep ball to Mac Hollins. Yes, it was a little underthrown. It probably should have been a touchdown. But still, he threw the ball, what, 40, 45 yards down the field to Mac Hollins for that reception. Mac Hollins made a fantastic catch on it. But nonetheless, you can throw the ball deep to Kyle Pitts. That's what he's very good at, and it's surprising as a tight end. But my biggest problem is that they're putting Darnell Savage dropping down from safety, covering Kyle Pitts. They're putting Razul Douglas on him. They're putting Jair Alexander on him on some plays. It's hard to have the confidence to throw at those kind of guys as Desmond Ritter, who's not that confident throwing the ball down the field. So I get why they're not hitting Pitts as much as anybody would like them to, but I think it's just a matchup thing and, and a confidence by your quarterback. If he's more confident throwing a five-yard curl route to Drake London against Jair Alexander than he is throwing a 15-yard like out route to Kyle Pitts against uh, Rasul Douglas, that's fine. If he's going to complete the pass, that's fine, and that's what he did quite a bit in this game. I love how you just brought that up, and I'm about to make your point even better because I love how you talked about the confidence thing. Look at Kyle Pitts and what he looked like with Matt Ryan, a confident quarterback who's been to a Super Bowl, who's been in playoff yeah. games, who's not scared to throw it to guys who aren't open. Kyle Pitts looked like a dog with Matt Ryan, <coughs> and it's all going to come down to – for Kyle Pitts is a quarterback's confidence. If they can get him the ball in deep scenarios, if they can launch it to him, throw it to him when he's covered, that's where Kyle Pitts is going to succeed. And it's not what the Falcons have right now, but it's honestly been fine for them so far. Yeah, so. yeah, it has. Um, and then on the Packers' side, you miss Aaron Jones in this game. A.J. Dillon <clears throat> couldn't really get any of those big plays going that he typically gets. His long was an eight-yard eight, eight yard run. Jordan Love looked okay, definitely not great, um, but this Falcons defense once again proves that they're for real. They made the right pickups in the offseason. They're pressuring the quarterback. They have good coverage in the secondary. Jesse Bates scares every single quarterback. I don't care who it is. And the funniest thing, one of the funniest clips from the weekend also came from the Packers offense, which was Jordan Love tripping over himself on an attempted QB sneak it, it, <laughs> where he moved and committed a false start because obviously nobody else moved. And they did it on fourth and inches while up two in the fourth quarter. Or, or sorry, uh, third and inches while up two in the fourth quarter. They punt. That punt leads to the Falcons' drive, which they scored the game-winning field goal on. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, brutal. Um, I do want to talk about these stats uh, for Desmond Ritter. So through these first two games of the season, looking at his attempts and uh, just his stats by quarter, in the first quarter he's 8 for 13 for 40 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He's got sacked twice. In the second quarter, he's 12 for 15, 89 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Third quarter, 4 for 10, 42 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Fourth quarter, 10 for 12, 181, no touchdowns, Ooh. no interceptions, no sacks. This guy 
loves the second and fourth quarter. <laughs> so if we just want to run the ball in the first and third, that's cool. Let Des give Desmond the keys for the second and fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that honestly sounds like the way to go for y'all. Yeah. Forward. <laughs> uh, but overall, like uh, I'm, I'm impressed by the Falcons. I certainly wasn't like, I'm not doubting the Packers anymore. You know, any uh, nothing changed about my view on the Packers after this game. Jordan loves human. I, I think we know that. Um, this defense can be beat, which we know that as well. Like, I, I think that the Packers are still going to be a pretty good team. I think Jordan loves way overplaying most people's expectations, even though he didn't have the best game here against the Falcons. But as the season goes on, I see it only getting better, and he was missing his number one target in Christian Watson in this game. Yeah. Um, do you think Aaron Jones would have been the difference in this game? If he plays, do the Falcons lose? Maybe. Like, the run defense handled A.J. Dillon really well, so I, I don't know how much more of a problem he would have been, but he definitely adds um, you know, some reassurance to a quarterback when you have Aaron Jones in the game just because you know what he's capable of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but let's talk about Ravens Bengals. The Ravens take it 27 <laughs> 24. How crazy. Joe Burrow, it looks so bad. And what's crazy, so last last Thursday or last Friday, I talked about the charts, how the spray charts looked for Burrow and how he wasn't thrown over the middle. Well, in this game, he threw over the middle plenty. It's just the deep ball. The deep ball is not working. He has not completed a pass over 15 yards. He is. 0 for 7 with an interception. Yeah. It's crazy. It's it's unbelievable. Um but <laughs> uh, man, <laughs> it's just so happy to see. Yeah. Of course, like I would rather Baltimore not be 2-0. But um yeah, they're getting exposed and they don't really have like a run game to help out either. Joe Mixon's been <coughs> kind of stuffed in a lot of his games, yeah. and he hadn't really been getting a lot of carries either. Um, <clears throat> T. Higgins being back really helped out, though. Um, he had a monster game against Baltimore, eight receptions, 89 yards for two touchdowns. Um, yeah, Baltimore just really showed up. Um, they used all of their weapons like they should, um, like Gus Edwards having carries, Lamar Jackson having carries, Bay Flowers getting the ball. Mark Andrews came back this week. He's getting the ball. Odell's getting passes here and there. And Nelson Aguilar, massive yeah. game from him. So, <coughs> really like what Baltimore's got going on. Yeah, I like to see Lamar Jackson spreading the ball around the field. Yeah, of course, Mark Andrews got the most targets. That's just expected. But six targets to Aguilar, five targets to Flowers, eight to Andrews, four to Odell, three to Rashad Bateman, three to Justice Hill. Though three went Devin Duvernay's way, he didn't catch any of them. Nonetheless, Lamar is looking at all of his options, which is huge. But at the same time, having a relatively good day on the ground with 12 carries for 54 yards. This is the Lamar Jackson that we need to see. Maybe a little bit better on the ground, um, you know, especially in the red zone. But this is the Lamar Jackson that we kind of come to expect, especially with that payday. We need to see this or better every week from him. Yeah, and if he continues to play like this and the offense continues to play like this, 
their defense is going to do just fine, you know, helping them get the win as well. Because, I mean, like we already highlighted it before, but their defense is kind of ridiculous. Like with Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith, Jadavian Clowney, he actually got his first sack as a Raven um, in this game against the Bengals. Um, They just look like a very, very complete team, and they're looking like they could easily win this division. Oh, yeah, for sure. They they look great, and I just – I don't know what's wrong with the Bengals. Like, I know their defense isn't that good. I think we all kind of knew that. But, like, there's just something with this offense, something with Joe Burrow, and maybe I believe he's kind of injured. I don't know what the actual injury is, but he might be hurt again. So that's not great. But, like, it just seems like something's off. Like, Jamar Chase isn't catching the ball a lot. And that's what we've become used to. T. Higgins kind of turned himself around this week, but last week had zero receptions. I don't know what the deal is. I'd, I'd assume things are just going to, you know, at least when we look at week one to week two, if they improve like that to week three, they're going to look great. I don't know. I, I really have no idea what to think about this Bengals team right now. And even, you know, taking it a step further, looking into the future, you brought up in the offseason that it's it's a big contract year for a lot of these Bengals players. There could be some serious changes to this Bengals roster if they continue going down like this bad path. And, of course, I'm sure they're going to get it figured out sooner or later. Um, I really don't know what the best case or worst case scenario for the Bengals looks like anymore. But, you know – Let's say worst case scenario, they end up being like kind of like in a round of 500 team. I think you could see a lot of changes to this Bengals team. A lot of players are going to be hitting the free agency and leaving. Yeah, I agree. Um, but let's move on to uh, Seattle, Detroit, uh, uh, overtime thriller. One of, I believe, two games from the weekend to go to overtime. The Seahawks end up taking it 37-31. They finally looked great. They, they didn't get shut down in the second half. They were just pretty consistent throughout the game, but their second half was much better. Geno Smith, crazy good game. 32 for 41, 328, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And then they still haven't gotten the running game going, but when you can pass that successfully, you don't really need it that much. Um, but, like, DK, six targets, six receptions. Tyler Lockett. 10 recept or 10 targets, eight receptions, 59 yards, two touchdowns, just kind of doing his job. And across and the, game the board, winner. yeah, the game winner across the board, guys just getting targets, not even a lot of them for, for big yardage. Like the longest reception of the game was 31 yards to no offense. Yeah. Yep. I think um, this, this game in particular, Grayson, I, I would say is like, Best game for Seattle offensively. This is what their best case scenario would look like on a week-to-week basis. You have Geno not turning the ball over and not really getting sacked. Um, Kenneth Walker, you know, didn't have much many yards, but he still had two touchdowns, and they actually decided to use um, Zach Charbonnet this week, and, you know, he looked a little bit effective as well. But like like you said, the receiving is where it's at. DK is getting targets and receptions. Tyler Lockett is getting tar- targets and receptions. Noah Faint is, you know, really underrated. I, I believe he's a very talented tight end. Uh, Will Disley is still there. I think he's got some talent. Jackson Smith and Jigba, obviously, you know, he deserves the targets as well. Kenneth Walker can be good in the past game, and Zach Charbonnet can be good in the past game as well. So, 
they really like offensively could not have had a better game aside from their uh their ground game. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted. Another trade got uh got <laughs> requested in oh, our no. fantasy league. Um <laughs> but yes, I agree with you. I I think that this is kind of like what the Seahawks should look like. Yeah, they should incorporate the run a little bit more, but yeah, this is a great offensive game. On Detroit's side, Jared Goff looked just as good as Geno. And I'm I'm starting to believe a little bit more in the Lions week by week. Like Jared Goff looked great. Um David Montgomery had a good game. He goes down. I think he's out for three weeks. So Jameer Gibbs did have a little bit of an increase over week one. Now going into week three, we're gonna see a whole lot more Jameer Gibbs. I, I have I can't wait. Pretty confident in that. But Sam Laporta, great game. Amon Ross St. Brown doing his thing, six receptions, 102. Um, and Josh Reynolds having two touchdowns in this one. Just great work offensively by both of these teams. There's a reason this game went to overtime, tied 31-31. The defense certainly wasn't there uh, on either side. <laughs> the Seahawks' defense just kind of struggled to stop them throughout the entire game, whereas Detroit's defense really struggled in the second half. I know C.J. Gardner-Johnson went down with some type of injury. Um, but Aiden Hutchinson is doing a great job of pressuring the quarterback, which I really like to see. Of course, yeah. And um, Detroit, you know, they had a very similar game offensively, spreading the ball around to all of their weapons. Um, their running backs are getting involved. Would like to see Jameer Gibbs have more carries, but as you pointed out with David Montgomery going down with the thigh injury, he's going to be uh, firing on all cylinders for him. This Josh Reynolds guy looks pretty fucking good. And Sam Laporta is a dog at rookie tight end. Um, yeah. Absolutely fantastic tight end. And it really came down to David Montgomery and Amon Ra fumbling the ball and losing both of those fumbles. So really close game. Um, honestly, either team could have walked away with a victory and I would have been satisfied. Yeah, agreed. Uh, did you see the uh, the ski masks? Yes. That was awesome. All the fans showed up. Amazon. It was like... <laughs> They sold out on Amazon of those ski masks oh, man. before this game. All of the Lions fans were out. And after the game, you got Seahawks players wearing them in the locker room. <laughs> I mean, great. you you just love to see a guy like C.J. Gardner-Johnson coming into a new team. Like, he's a free agent. He's coming yeah. in, and he's already kind of try, uh, trying to change the culture there. And it's uh, really cool to see. Yeah, I love it. Um, but – Let's go to the other overtime game of the weekend. Titans 27, Chargers 24. And I, I just want to say this stat before we start, or these three <laughs> stats before we start. So you remember, the Titans won this game in overtime. Justin Herbert threw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. The defense sacked Ryan Tannehill five times, and Derrick Henry didn't break 100 yards. And the Chargers lost. <laughs> this is a Chargers game right here. Yeah. This is the it epitome is, of their entire existence. Yeah, since this like is Rivers. so Brandon Staley. <laughs> <clears throat> like, yeah. allowing Ryan Tannehill to throw 20 for 24 for 246 is absurd. Yeah. Yep. And I think it, it really, you know, not a lot of people are talking about him, but J.C. Jackson – was so good in New England, and it has only been downhill 
since then. Yeah. Um, like he, he just missed, looks trash. He missed the whole season last year, <clears throat> and then comes back this season, and yeah, he looks garbage. Yeah, and I mean, even, you know, Joey Bosa having a monster day, two sacks on yeah. Ryan Tannehill, and he just still cannot seem to figure it out. It's um, it's it's literally, it's so unbelievable to me that the Vikings, the Bengals, and the Chargers are all 0-2 right now. Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. agreed. Those are definitely three teams that I'd have probably undefeated as of right now. Yeah. Uh, except maybe the Vikings going up against the Eagles. Nonetheless, yeah. this game was wild. Um, once again, the Chargers just know how to choke away a game. That's that's what this one came down to. The The Chargers are very good at that. And, um, yeah, like they, they were up – what four? They're up fourteen ten going into the half, and then they go down seventeen fourteen, go into the fourth quarter, score ten points, give up that touchdown, and, and all of a sudden they're having to force overtime, and then the Titans. It's just like come on, like the the Chargers had so many opportunities where they should have won this game. They should have. Managed the clock a whole lot better on that last drive before they kicked that field goal, and they probably would have had the chance to go for a touchdown. And then it was just like shit drive or like shit play call, shit play call, shit play call, field goal. And it's like, what what are you doing? Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder what this offense can look like more when like Justin Herbert gets accustomed. Like maybe it starts to look a lot better once he's calling the plays. Maybe. Um, I mean. Like Keenan Allen, eight receptions, 111 yards, two touchdowns. And Mike Williams, the best sidekick in all of NFL, eight receptions, 83 yards. Like eight, the Chargers, I swear, and you know, we already talked about this, but they are the epitome of playing well and having amazing players on offense and still losing games. I do not know how the Titans came away with this victory. Yeah. It's it, unbelievable. <laughs> it makes zero sense. Um, but let's talk Buccaneers Bears because I need to shit on the Bears real quick. All right, let's okay. uh, let's shit on the Bears. So the Buccaneers take this one 27-17. And the nail in the coffin in this game was a sequence where the Bears were lined up. Uh, I think they were on like their five yard line, and they ran the same screen three times in a row three times in a row same pass same formation everything and the final one leads to a pick six like Levante David said it after the game they ran the same three plays or the same play three times in a row and it was very obvious like come on like what are you doing (laughs) oh man just, I'm hopping on the bandwagon with you, Grayson. All right, and I'm about to go on a rant of, of my own right here. Justin Fields fucking sucks. Yeah. And honestly, honestly, the Bears are still going to be bad. They're not even going to be close to 500 this year, and, and it really sucks because they have a lot of cool players. Oh, my God. Tw- completed 16 of 29 passes, 211. Actually, was over 200 yards this week. One touchdown, two picks, was sacked six times for 42 yards, probably because he's running backwards the whole time. It's just, <clears throat> it's so infuriating. And, oh, yeah, 
how he's such an unbelievable rusher. Four carries, three yards. A touchdown. They fucking suck. He fucking yeah. sucks. I mean, you know, at least at least they finally, you know, were getting the ball to DJ Moore. He looked great. And he helped him out a lot. But they're just like you're exactly right. The the hype around Justin Fields is incredible at this point. It is incredible. And really good defenders like Levante David are going to make you look sorry. And they're going to tell you that you're sorry after the game. Yeah. It's play calling and it's Justin Fields is horrible. Exactly. And it doesn't help that their coach hasn't done a good job. Matt Eberflus now three and sixteen as a head coach. Uh, of the Chicago Bears, and that's the worst winning percentage of any coach that has ever coached the Bears. Ever. Yeah. And Horrible. to talk about Justin Fields a little bit, he's taken 10 sacks this season, nine of which that have come after four-plus seconds after the snap. Since 2021, he's taken 79 of those types of sacks. That's 16 more than any other quarterback in the NFL. At least the ball, man. Yeah. He, he has started 27 games, and they are 5-22 and 22 in those games. He's been sacked in total 101 times. His completion percentage is a 59.8. He's thrown 26 touchdowns and 24 interceptions. He's fumbled 31 times. Only eight of them lost, which is okay, but still, dropping the ball 31 times. And he's averaging just 156 and a half passing yards per game in his career. You can't win games like that. Yeah. But the quarterback on the other side of the field, for some <laughs> reason, is fucking great. Baker Mayfield, all of the sudden, a 26 for 34, 317, one touchdown, zero interceptions, zero sacks. What a Phenomenal. game for Baker. Phenomenal. Yeah. And just and let's talk about third downs here real quick. Baker Mayfield on third downs this season is 20 for 23, 201 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, zero sacks, and a 132 passer rating. On third down alone? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to win football games. It is. It, it definitely is. And I'm just... I'm starting to think that the Buccaneers are pretty good. Baker Mayfield's not going to have a performance like this every week. I'm well aware of it. But this defense is very good. Yeah, they gave up 17 points to the Bears who looked like they were struggling. It's still a hard offense to play against, though it's not a good one. It's a hard offense to keep up with. They're super fast. They have a lot of assets. Can they use them? Not not enough to win. But this this Buccaneers defense is... Very good. And I I think that the offense, Baker just has enough weapons to win some games. I I have a feeling they're going to win 10 games at least. Yeah, I can see that, especially in their division. No offense. No, no, I get it. Um, Yeah, Baker, I mean, he can even make plays like on on his legs as well. They're really really going to be a good team. Rashad White stepping up this season. Mike Evans is doing what Mike Evans always does, and Chris Godwin is right there with them. And they have Kate Otten, who, you know, I, I've kind of been paying attention to him a little bit, even in, like, the Brady days of the Buccaneers. He's a very serviceable tight end, and I'm so glad that he's the starter over there now because he's actually getting to show it 
Um, and like you said, the defense is this perfect mix of young players with veterans. Yeah. You cannot have anything better uh, on a defense. So, yeah, they look um, they look very, very good. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. Chiefs-Jags. The Chiefs take it 17-9. to uh, Both of these Ooh. teams sucked. <laughs> yeah. I'll just come out and say it. But they both sucked. Patrick Mahomes looked a little bit better. Uh, 29 for 41, 305, two touchdowns and an interception. Not that bad of a day. Isaiah Pacheco had a good game, seven, or, uh, 12 carries for 70 yards. Um, but, like, Travis Kelsey just was not getting targeted. He he got – well, he was. He got targeted nine times, most on the team. He only caught four passes. Yeah, one of them was a touchdown, which is huge. But still, like, Kelsey needs to be getting more looks. I know he got nine targets. He needs more looks. Yeah, they um, I, I honestly think week one kind of exposed the blueprint to the Chiefs' offense. If you yeah. really stop Travis Kelsey, then you have a shot to win the game, which is very scary, you know, because we've always revered this Chiefs' offense is almost, you know, unstoppable. Maybe whenever you had Tyreek Hill there, you know, um, but now they honestly, like in my opinion, do not have a good enough receiver to be able to alleviate the pressure off of Travis Kelsey. And it showed like, yeah, Sky Moore had an okay game, but like only three receptions. Darius Tony had a bounce back game, five receptions, but only 35 yards. Like they just don't have, they, I don't think they have enough weapons. No, I agree. It's kind of what it comes down to. Um, but yeah. That's my two cents on the offense. Yeah. No, the offense, it, it kind of sucks. It, it, the defense <laughs> was significantly better with, uh, with Chris Jones back. I'll give him that. Yes. Chris Jones is a huge force and just a, a huge role in this team. George Karloff just looked great. Him and Chris Jones both had a sack themselves and split one between the two. And I'm just pretty – I'm excited about watching this defense because I really didn't think it would be that good. But up front, they have enough to pressure a team like Jacksonville who likes to throw the ball – into just not not letting them totally get it done. The six points yeah. in the second quarter is fine. But not giving up a touchdown to this Jaguars team is huge. And, and you know, props to the secondary for playing pretty well, but really props to that defensive line for putting that much pressure on Trevor Lawrence and just this entire team. Travis Etienne, 12 carries, 40 yards. They didn't use Tank Bigsby at all, who I thought was going to be a pretty important part of this offense. And then you shut down Calvin Ridley, eight targets, two receptions, 32 yards. He looks human again. Christian Kirk had a fantastic day, 11 receptions, 110 on 14 targets. But nonetheless, if you're going to shut down Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones had six targets, no receptions. If you're going to shut down Zay Jones and Travis Etienne, you're going to have a good day. And the Chiefs defense won this game, and the Jags offense certainly lost this game. A hundred percent. If you would have told me with how week one went for Jacksonville, if you would have told me that the Chiefs only scored 17 points, I probably would have told you that the Jaguars won the game. Yeah. Um. It, yeah, I mean, like, it really – Jacksonville's defense showed up <coughs> and exposed, you know, the idea of – when you shut down Kelsey, they really can't do much. But for offense, man, like that, the, the offense is the best part of their team, and it was their game to win. And, you know, the Chiefs defense showed up, man. Yeah. Um, 
Maybe it would have been different if Travis Etienne doesn't cramp up. Maybe. But even then, like, they were stopping him pretty well. Um, But I, I have to shout out the Chiefs defense. They really did a good job against Calvin Ridley. Yeah, and, like, once again, just proving that if you if you pressure the quarterback as, as hard as you possibly can, especially in a passing offense like Jacksonville's, you, you're going to win the game. Like, if you really put it to them over and over and over again, you're going to win the game. Jacksonville's offensive line, again, looked bad. We talked about it last week, how it really wasn't that good. This week it was bad. Four sacks uh, on Trevor it is inexcusable for this team. With the with the stature that they have now and with how Trevor Lawrence has been playing in the past, it's not acceptable for them to give up four sacks. Not at all. Not at all. But otherwise, this game just kind of fell short of the expectations. It was supposed to be a very good game, and though it wasn't like a, a you know, it was an eight-point game, it seemed like the Chiefs blew them out of the water. Yeah, I, I think you and I were definitely expecting a shootout here, but uh, we did not get that. Yeah, <laughs> well, we did get one down in Houston. Colts 31, Texans 20. Just a, a rookie Man. battle of rookie battles. But, unfortunately, Anthony Richardson gets hurt again. So, last week, he, he got banged up right there at the end. Gardner only played like two snaps. Anthony Richardson went out pretty early in this game after having two rushing touchdowns. <laughs> and Dude, we, we were dead wrong about this kid, man. I don't think I was wrong. I said it would take a little time for him to adjust, which I still think he's missing the things that I said he'd be missing, which is play or not playmaking ability, uh, decision-making as a passer, when to run, when not to. But this game, he got off to a hot start and it just got shut down due to the injury. Gardner Minshew comes in 19 for 23, essentially a perfect outing by a backup quarterback. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to take it to the other side. I want to talk about the other rookie quarterback. CJ Stroud is like, I, I just don't even understand it. He's thrown the ball 91 times in two weeks. Yeah. That is like probably worst case scenario for a rookie quarterback. And, you know, going into the season, I'm thinking Damon Pierce is going to come back even stronger. He's going to only get better, which is just going to alleviate the pressure off C.J. Stroud. But all the pressure has been on C.J. Stroud. Yeah. He went 30 for 47, almost had 400 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, but was sacked six times. How as a rookie quarterback do you get sacked six times and still look that good? I don't it, know what to tell you. He is now he, the first he is phenomenal. He's now the first quarterback from Ohio State to throw for over 380 yards in an NFL game. Um, he also has more 300-yard passing games than Justin Fields now, Imagine which that. takes one. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Fields has played 27 <laughs> games and has not recorded one, while Stroud has played two. Uh, but also, CJ is fourth in the NFL and second in the AFC in passing yards with 626. Like, way to fucking go. And yeah. I don't even want to hear the excuse like, oh, it's because the run game's bad and he's just having to do it. That's the point. It's yeah. all up to him right now through the first two weeks. And the Texans really shouldn't be 0-2. They got to get this run game that they literally have figured out. Yes. So. They, they certainly do. Zach Moss certainly looked good. 
in his return from injury, 18 carries for 88 yards, but Jonathan Taylor not playing is really hurting them, and he can't play until week five. So if he even wants to play. Uh, but right. Nico Collins, holy shit. Like, I knew that Nico Collins was becoming C.J. Stroud's favorite target. I didn't know it was like this. Nine targets, seven right. receptions, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, and how about when you're throwing the ball 47 times, you can also make Robert Wood have six receptions, 47 yards. And how about yeah. Tank Dell? Or not seven. 47, 74. Yeah. Dang, that, that was very dyslexic of me, and I don't even have dyslexia. Um, Tank Dell, seven receptions for 72 yards and a touchdown, the rookie. Like you, you really just love to see it, and I feel bad for Texans fans that they're 0-2. Yeah, it is. It's unfortunate that their defense just could not get it done in this one. I, I think what happened is their defense game plan for Anthony Richardson, and that's not what they got. <laughs> got old Minshew. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of Zach Moss. And I think that hurt him because, look, we all know that Will Anderson has the ability and the speed to keep up with Anthony Richardson. No matter how athletic you think Anthony Richardson is, Will Anderson is just about there with him. And guys like Derek Stingley shut down in the secondary. But when you have a huge fundamental change to the way that this offense has to play, it totally changes off your defensive game plan. And I think that's a hard thing to do when it comes down to the two coaches in this game are Shane Steichen, a, a former offensive coordinator as head coach, and then D'Amico Ryans, a former defensive coordinator as a head coach. On each side, first year as a head coach for both of them. Shane Steichen knows how to make offensive changes. I don't know how well D'Amico Ryans has, you know, how well he can just totally turn this entire team around. Because the whole game plan was changed. Because... If the Colts had Anthony Richardson in the game more, the clock runs down more because he keeps the ball a lot. Gardner's going to throw the ball a little bit more, but then they run the, like a, a whole lot of things fundamentally change with that offense, and I don't think that D'Amico Ryans and this staff could keep up with it, especially with a young defense. Not at all. Um, it, it's kind of interesting watching both of them kind of embark on their first uh, head coaching season. It, yeah. their, their teams have been interesting to watch. Definitely. Um, um, anything else you want I, to talk about with this game? I just want the Texans to, you know, I want them to get results. Yeah, With I agree. how well that they've been playing. So. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk 49ers-Rams. Um, 30 23 49ers. Um, I'm going to start out with the Rams. Puka Nakua is the real fucking deal. 25 catches between weeks one and two. He (laughs) way past the mark um, of 19 uh, by the uh, 49ers Earl Cooper in 1980 for the record for most receptions in the first two games of the season. Uh, his 15 receptions on 20 targets for the 140 yard or 147 yards in that game. Uh, those 15 receptions are the most by a rookie in a single game in league history, and he is now the first player in NFL history with 10 or more receptions and at least 100 yards in his first two career games. <laughs> he has been targeted 35 fucking times. Forget yeah. about Cooper Cup. 
who is Cooper Cup? Because I'm all about Puka Nakua, baby. And Tutu Atwell's playing well, too. His second week having a good game, seven receptions, 77 yards on nine targets. These guys are machines. It's too bad they can't score touchdowns. And they're machines, but who are they still? Yeah. Who are these people? But, like, think about it. Cooper Cup is going to get 20 targets. Pukunuku is going to get 20 targets. So Matthew Stafford's going to throw, like in this game, 55 passes, and over half of them will probably go to Cooper Cup and Pukunuku in the coming weeks. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to look good when Cooper Cup's healthy. Um, yeah. And I, I remember whenever we were uh, previewing this game, I, I said that I was really interested to see how Matthew Stafford would um, play against this defense. Well, he actually, you know, although he lost the uh, the touchdown interception ratio, throwing two picks and only one touchdown, he honestly still did good for what you know yeah. came to him in the game. I was very impressed. Yeah, like they just they can't get this running game down. You're missing Acres in this one, but Kyron Williams doesn't have a bad game at all 52 yeah. yards one touchdown it's just something is missing there in the run game and Stafford wants to throw the ball this Rams offense really wants to throw the ball because you've got this talent wide receiver to be utilizing and I 100% understand it. I don't blame them for throwing the ball a lot especially because you're going up against the defensive line that is going to stop the run so I don't blame them at all but, like I said, I knew this offense was going to look good. The 49ers are just too much for this Rams team. Yeah, I, the 49ers are too complete. Um, yeah. This is, what, this is what I don't understand, Grayson. You have a quarterback, right? What if I told you that quarterback of the football team that we're talking about threw the ball 25 times, completed 17 passes for only 206 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but his team scored 30 points. Yeah. I, I, they're going to win the Super Bowl. That, that's all that I can deduce from this. I, I don't understand how they're able. I, I don't get it. I, I have, I'm just speechless. Uh, I think what you're trying to say is that Christian McCaffrey is still one of the best running backs in the league and is arguably not human. Yeah. And I mean, carries. Like 20 carries, 116 yards, and a touchdown following up just about the same stat line but more rushing yards last week is crazy. And then Debo Samuel, five carries, 38 yards, one touchdown. Brock Purdy doesn't really run for much, but he got the touchdown. Yeah, all three of the the people who ran the ball for the 49ers scored a touchdown in this game. Yeah, and then they kicked How, three field uh, goals to whatever. go along with it. Just so frustrating. Like, be entertaining. <laughs> but they are entertaining. They that's are. The that's thing. The like, thing. Their defense is awesome, and yeah. like, their offensive weapons are still fun to watch despite having the most boring quarterback. Yeah, and despite <laughs> what the scoreboard says, this was a 10-point win for the 49ers. I'm just saying. Because yeah. McVay was just following the Vegas line. Uh, he knows that they were seven-point underdogs and could not leave 49ers betters with that satisfaction. A lot of people killed themselves in a Vegas bathtub that night. <laughs> You're probably right, but if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, yes, but, yeah, look, the 49ers are just too much for an offense that was firing on all cylinders last week and this week. The 49ers are too much, 
And this defense kind of got exposed. This defense shouldn't be giving up 23 points. It shouldn't be giving up 20 points. They're lucky that the offense looked really good. They're very lucky they have a good offensive line. But Fred Warner had a good game. Dre Greenlaw had a good game. Javarius Ward had a good game. It just seemed like Bosa is getting stopped over and over and over again. He cannot get to the quarterback. He had one TFL, but that's really the only highlight out of him. Only two tackles. Yeah. One was solo. Like, in what world is Nick Bosa hitting the quarterback three times and not getting a sack? Yeah. Well, when you have fucking Puka Nakua, it may not even matter. As soon as you feel (laughs) Nick Bosa touch you, you just throw the ball up. And Puka (laughs) Nakua is going to be there. Oh, man. And I think another thing we can take away is this Rams team is not like last year. They're going to be able to compete with probably anybody they play against. Even without Cam Akers, who I think they're wanting to trade away now, they might, you know, be like a mid-team without even a running back. Yeah. All right. Well, we're spending a little too much time on each team. So let's go to the Giants-Cardinals. The Giants win it in a huge comeback, 31-28. They were down 28-7. End up beating Arizona 31-28. Daniel Jones becomes the first QB ever to throw for over 250 yards, rush for over 50 yards, throw two touchdowns, rush for a touchdown, and not turn the ball over in a single half. Danny Dimes, baby. Yeah, out of fucking no. I had zero hope for this man (laughs) and this team in the first half. And all of a sudden, Daniel Jones just fucking whips his dick out. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> 26 for 37, 321, two touchdowns, one interception. He got sacked three times, which, okay. And he just looked great. He had 59 rushing yards on nine carries for one touchdown. Unfortunately, Saquon went down with an ankle sprain in this game, but he still had a 63 yards and a touchdown. This Giants team in the second half is the Giants team we've been looking for all year. Well, then again, they've only played two games. But for for three halves of football, this is the Giants team we've been looking for. Of course, and I mean, through the air, your receivers also, you know, they put in the work and they're very involved. Jalen Hyatt finally getting out there. Two receptions, 89 yards. Darren Waller. Now, finally looking like the elite tight end that we know him to be. Six receptions, 76 yards. Darius Slayton's getting in there. Isaiah Hodges is getting in there with a touchdown, and Saquon ended up catching a touchdown as well. So I, I'm really like, I'm really happy for this Giants <laughs> offense, especially going into week two, because I, I genuinely thought that that Cowboys game was a fluke for them. They, I mean, maybe they should have gotten killed, but they shouldn't have gotten goose egg. You know, Daniel Jones is only going to keep getting better. Um, and they've looked fantastic when Saquon is healthy, bottom line. Um, yeah. And, and they had a great bounce-back game. You know, they went from scoring zero points to 31. I don't care if it's against the Cardinals. That's a great improvement. Yeah. And um, it's what I hope we see more of uh, from the Giants, you know, later weeks. Agreed. Um, My biggest thing is, like, you know, looking ahead for the Giants with Saquon likely out a couple of weeks – what does that mean for Daniel Jones? Are his performances going to be better or worse? Because Saquon gives him a great option in the passing game. He was tied with Darren Waller for the most receptions on the team. Um, and then he also is a huge contributor to the run game. 
Does that mean Daniel Jones throwing the ball more? That means he might be throwing more picks, especially going up against the 49ers. And then, you know, is he using his legs more? Is that good or bad? That's a good point. And I think what we can do is we can go back to what it looked like last season without Saquon Barkley. I think Daniel Jones in the offense, <coughs> man, <coughs> uh, still coming back like MJ. Um, but I really liked the offense without Saquon Barkley, as weird as that sounds. Um, yeah. I think Daniel Do- Daniel Jones does a good job of um, picking a little bit of the run game um, uh, on his own without Saquon. And personally, I like it. So I, I think it it may not be better per se, but they're going to be just fine without Saquon Barkley. All right. And then on the Cardinals side, they just continue to way overplay expectations, but still get the job done by losing. <laughs> yeah. Um, great it's, game from James Conner, though. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. 106 and a touchdown. Josh Dobbs didn't have a bad one either. 21 for 31, 228, one touchdown, no interceptions. Yeah, and and even on the ground. One. Yeah. Three carries, 41 yards. Exactly. Um, yeah, the, the Cardinals honestly look a lot more serviceable than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. But they so still want a new point. quarterback. I can tell. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Cowboys Jets Cowboys take it 30 to 10. Um I want to talk about Trayvon Diggs. This man has finally merged his two good seasons. So last year the interceptions were down but the coverage was significantly improved. 2 years ago led the league in interceptions, one of the best defensive seasons when you look at picks but had some very bad moments in coverage. This season He's allowed just 26 yards on eight targets through these two games, and he's forced three turnovers. And I think, um, you know, ever since his rookie year, I always kind of thought that he would be better if he had a cornerback one to kind of be under. And Stephon Gilmore's just, you know, he's done just that. Stephon yeah. Gilmore looks amazing in Dallas. He looks really, really good. And I think that's been a big uh, contributor to uh, uh, Trayvon Diggs' success. Yeah. And on the offensive side, they just continue to roll as well. Dak Prescott looking accurate as ever. 31 for 38, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. But in past years, if Dak threw 38 passes, he's probably going to throw a pick. No picks in this one because he keeps it at just the lowest, like the lowest yardage possible. 31 completions, 255 passing yards is so low, but it works for this offense. Yeah, hundred percent. And how about uh, the rookie tight end Luke Schoonmacher getting in there with his first NFL touchdown? You'd love to see it. Um, I'm kind of surprised that we're still not seeing a lot of Michael Gallup. And also, um, did, did Brandon Cooks play in this game, or was he out? I think he was out. Okay, that makes sense because I was very confused looking at this earlier. Um, yeah, when CeeDee Lamb receives for, you know, 11 receptions, 143 yards, you can kind of get away with the other guys having like three receptions, one reception, and, you know, stuff like that. But on the other side, how about Garrett Wilson being, I mean, two receptions, 83 yards, and a touchdown's not that bad, but the Cowboys honestly shut him the fuck down. Yeah. Really, really well. Um, and it just... And Grayson, I this Cowboys team could win the Super Bowl. I, I know that I can't take away my predictions, but this Cowboys team has the pass rush, they have the coverage, 
and they have the offense. Yeah. They look terrifying. I mean, they they've scored 70 points in 2 weeks and only given up 10. What what the fuck kind of stat is that? I mean, unbelievable. Sacking Zach Wilson 3 times, making him throw the uh throw three picks like damn. They just cover the whole spread. The Cowboys are a complete football team. Yeah, they are. It's crazy. Um to even say that right now, coming off of last year where all we had was bad things to say about this team. But outside of Michael Parsons, who just continues to be so fucking crazy. Um, but nonetheless, this Jets team, it, look, it's it's pretty obvious that Zach Wilson's not going to have a good week every week. And definitely not going to have one against the Cowboys. They have too good of a pass rush. They have too good of a secondary. This was never going to happen. But he looked really bad. 12 for 27, one touchdown, three interceptions. At least he's not as cocky. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem like a bitch about it, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> At least he wasn't like, man, if the defense only could have given me a couple more tries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, if only they could fucking run the ball, it probably would have helped him out. Brees Hall had four carries for nine yards. Dalvin Cook had four carries for seven yards. Michael Carter had two carries for eight yards. Zach Wilson led this team in rushing. Five carries, 36 yards. And Dalvin Cook even fumbled the ball. That That's like your biggest thing. Even with Aaron Rodgers being out, you still have Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and you added Dalvin Cook. There is no reason that your rushing stats should look like this against, honestly, any team. Yeah. It really doesn't even matter how good, good of a team it is at stopping the run. If you have three backs that are that good, you should be able to put up numbers and touchdowns. Exactly, especially when your number one quarterback is out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But nonetheless, let's move on to probably the most exciting ending to any of these games. Commanders 35, Broncos 33. The Commanders were down 21-3. to and come back and win 35-33. They actually had a bigger lead than that, but the Broncos, with some late-game heroics, tried to pull it back. They score a touchdown late. They convert the onside. Russell Wilson throws the Hail Mary. They catch it. They get the touchdown. They make it 35-33. They go for two, and they get stopped on questionable pass non-call on a pass interference. What a unbelievable game. I don't even know who to talk about first. I I Sam Howell, amazing. Yeah. Russell Wilson. Damn, I I hate Russell Wilson, but he had to put the fucking team on his back. Yeah. This game. Um I, I want to start off with Sam Howell, who I completely like had barely even heard of, totally forgot he was in the league. The, the commanders could not have done better getting rid of Wentz and getting rid, rid of Heineke. Sam Howell is ready to be a starter in this league. And yeah. Brian Robinson is too. Definitely. Like, you can tell where this, like, the direction of this team has gone with Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator because they have Sam Howell in his first season actually starting, throwing 39 passes in a game and doing it well, doing it while avoiding throwing interceptions. Maybe he needs to figure out the sacks because a lot of that is him running back but 
nonetheless, they have Sam Howell looking confident. They have Brian Robinson doing crazy things. They're phasing out Antonio Gibson, who is just an inefficient running back, which is just smart. That's what an offensive coordinator should do. They should see who's not doing a good job at their job. Stop using them as much. That's what they're doing to Antonio Gibson. They're actually utilizing him in the passing game more, which is where he's better. Three receptions, 44 yards. Terry McLaurin making just the ridiculous athletic catches that he does for that uh, for that touchdown. He had five receptions, 54 yards. But the ball was spread out in this game. Everybody except Curtis Samuel and Byron Pringle had over 20 yards, and Curtis Samuel had 19. Yeah, it, it went to 10 different people. Yeah. In the game as well. It's just, um, man, they have really, really got it figured out over there. And I want to highlight their defense as well. How about Emmanuel Forbes getting his first NFL pick in the league? I thought that was awesome. I love to see it. Yeah, it was great. And just this team in general looks so good. Like, um, I think they've, um, yeah, they sacked Russ seven times total, or there were seven sacks. Uh, one was split, but Montez Sweat looks great. Deron Payne looks great. Chase Young looks great. That's a majority of their defensive line. They all look yeah. good. They all recorded at least a sack. And then on the Broncos side, you like, you know, going back to earlier, Russell Wilson got sacked seven times and still threw for 308 yards and was the leading rusher. Um, yeah. It's a very, like, tough game out of him. Marvin Mims Jr., two receptions, 113, and a touchdown. Um, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy a little bit quiet um, in this game. It, you know, damn, what what a game we got to see out of two teams that we would have never expected it from. Um, yeah, I, I really don't have much else to say other than Russell Wilson really surprised me. Yeah, he's Mr. Unlimited. That's, yep. that's my final – my closing statements on that game is uh, unlimited. <laughs> That's it. Uh, but let's get nice. to the Sunday night football matchup. Dolphins-Patriots was a much better game than I could have guessed. 24-17 Dolphins. Bill Belichick is still the GOAT. I don't care that he is 0-2. That fucking flag, the replay flag that he threw down, <laughs> proves that he's still the GOAT. The fucking ref is, like, on his knees, like, making sure the chain's not in the field of play. And you see fucking Bill grab his flag and just spike it in front of that ref. <laughs> hilarious just oh, downright man, hilarious such a butthead <laughs> yeah and shout out i'm just gonna shout out all of the patriots that did well in this game christian gonzalez oh yes. my god a 91.6 coverage grade by pff five targets three catches allowed one interception one forced incompletion and that's going up against a wide receiver room that has jalen waddle and tyreek hill yeah, um, and even Collinsworth, uh, I was actually watching this game. Collinsworth uh, even, you know, kind of mentioned that as well. Christian Gonzalez was covering Tyree Kill for most of the game. Yeah. And Christian Gonzalez looked like a, a true vet out there against Tyree Kill, who only had five receptions, 40 yards, and a touchdown, which is still an awesome game. But for Tyree Kill, you would expect probably a little bit more. Yeah. Like Jalen Waddle definitely picked up the load in this one. Um, which I kind of expect. If one of them's having an off day, the other one's probably having a good one. And he did a great job. Raheem Mostert looked like just not Raheem Mostert. I don't believe that was him on the field. I think somebody stole his jersey and um, and put it on 
Barry Sanders. <laughs> 18 carries, 121 yards, and two touchdowns from Raheem Mostert is something we haven't seen since his first ACL tear in San Fran. I was about to say, like, we haven't seen a healthy Raheem Mostert look this good since back then. Um, he, you know, absolutely phenomenal to watch when healthy. I honestly, you know, I forgot how good he can look. Yeah, me too. Um, Tua, of course, looked pretty good, not great. You know, no over 100 receivers for anybody. Um, but Tua, 21 for 30, 249, one touchdown, one interception. This is a good Patriots defense. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give him any flack for that interception. And then for Mac Jones, kind of the same thing. This is a good Dolphins defense. It was a tough interception to throw, but 31 for 42, 231 for Mac Jones just seems a little excessive. I feel like you should be trusting Ramondre and Zeke to get the ball a little bit more, especially in a close game like this. Like. Mac should not have the pressure of the world lying on his shoulders every game. No, not at all. Um, but like he was still did a good job spreading the ball out a lot, which I really like. Um, just overall, not not too mad uh, about anything. I love. Um, I don't remember who lateraled it, but lateraling it to Cole Strange, and and oh, him trying to fight for the first down was crazy. Dude, it took about like four of the slow mo replays for me to be like, "Oh, it, he may not have actually gotten it." Like it was that yeah. close. Yeah, he tried. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did try, but I think the coolest stat to come out of this game for me is uh, Xavier Howard has uh, four babies with four different baby mamas. Wow, that's imp- that's almost that Antonio Cromartie numbers. Yeah, and they're like, um, they're talking to each other too. Like, good luck you know, dealing with him because he didn't take care of mine. It, it's just, That's it's the best. Wild. It's the best. Yeah, I I love it. <laughs> Shout out Xavier Howard. Yeah, that dog out there, man. Yeah, and he had a pass deflection. <laughs> and this this Dolphins team is 2-0 without Jalen Ramsey. I just yeah. want to remind everybody. Yeah, um, keep that's that crazy. in mind. Um, Shout out the, uh, who was the guy on special teams that blocked that kick? For the oh, Patriots. yeah. That was, that was fucking ridiculous. That was genius special teams coordination right there. Bill Belichick just pisses me off, yeah. dude. He's such a nerd. Who thinks of that? Exactly. Who thinks of that? Like you're you that is something that might like change the league. Like yeah. other teams will definitely start doing that. It's just one thing I don't understand is not everybody can be like Troy Polamalu and just time the snap count. So you may see a lot of plays where teams are getting first downs on fourth downs trying to kick a field goal because they're running that play and jumping off sides. Well, okay, so, so uh, I saw a slow-mo breakdown of this play. He saw a crazy cue, and, and they wow. must have known about it. So the holder for Miami, who I believe is their punter, um, when he was about to uh, like call for the snap, he had – breathed in and as he breathed out like you see like his whole body shift down when he breathes out that's when he started running ball gets snapped he crosses the line crazy that's like some baseball tipping shit right there. yeah it was absolutely absurd um wow. but Tyreek Hill uh, voiced his opinion on the Boston fans who in all sports are the worst 
Uh, he said, those fans are probably some of the worst in the NFL. I'm going to stand on that. They are real nasty, and some of the things they were saying, I wouldn't say in church. Oh, wow. You'd probably say them in a marina. Um, <laughs> and then uh, another fun fact from this game, Tua is now 5-0 and against the Patriots. Really? Yeah. And that's a pretty good team to be 5-0 and against. Not a lot of people can say they're undefeated against Bill Belichick. That is true. Uh, but one two attack of Aloha can. Uh, but let's get into the Monday night games and kind of wrap this up. Saints Panthers didn't watch a single play of this one. I didn't either, but it ended up being very <laughs> close. Yeah. <laughs> let's be honest. The Panthers suck. Yeah. I, I think we all knew that. Uh, they can't run the ball. Um, they can't protect their quarterback long enough for him to pass the ball. So they can't put up points, and that's why they're 0-2 against two division teams, which kind of sucks. Starting off the season with two division opponents is ass. Um, it just has the Bengals. They're 0-2, and they did the same thing. Yeah. So. Uh, but New Orleans, like, they weren't great. They were just pretty good. Like, Derek Carr wasn't great. 21 for 36, 228, zero touchdowns, one interception. He got sacked four times. Taysom Hill was their leading rusher with 75 rushing yards on nine carries. Um, Jamal Williams yeah. went down early in this game. Like they just couldn't get it done. Tony Jones Jr. never heard of him before this game. Two rushing <laughs> touchdowns. Yeah, more carries than Jamal Williams too. Yeah. Um, and all this two and zero without AK. Um, and and they're really like I mean they're firing on all cylinders. You have Chris Olave getting the receptions. Um, R- Rashid Sahid. This yeah. guy is starting to become a new kind of favorite target over there in um, New Orleans. And you still got Michael Thomas there. He's still a dog. He's still going to get you plays. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, really, this New Orleans team kind of looks scary. Um, I don't know. I feel like they're – New Orleans isn't one of the better teams in the NFL, obviously, but they do a good job of getting the ball to their best players. And they yeah. still, you know, like I said, don't have Alvin Kamara. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm feeling pretty good about – our NFC South recap when I said that Chris Olave is the number one wide receiver on this team. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Michael Thomas is still there. He's there, just not getting as many targets or receptions or yards. I mean, yeah, actually, between them, they, they had 20 targets, which is kind of exactly where you want to be if you're going to divide targets between yes. those two. But um, on the Panthers' side, Miles Sanders is not that good of a running back. He only played on a good team in Philadelphia. Uh <laughs> Adam Thielen, though, having a having a vintage performance. Yeah. He looked pretty good. And uh, Jonathan Mingo just needs to get the ball more. Really. Yeah. So I just got distracted. I looked up at my TV. So I haven't looked up since the end of the first half of PSG Dortmund. Um, and in the 62nd minute, it's 2-0 PSG. So. Wow. That's great. Uh, <laughs> but let's get into the final game of the weekend. Um. Steelers Browns. The Steelers take it 26 22 in a just brutal AFC E or sorry, AFC North. North? Okay. Yeah. AFC North. Jesus. Um, just a brutal AFC North showdown. Yeah. Um, to, I, I just, I have a PSA for all Steelers fans. We don't win that game if Nick Chubb. He's healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks to Nick Minka Chubb, Fitzpatrick for making a relative, in my opinion, a dirty tackle. 
Well, I, I think, you know, personally, I think that's a load of crap. You, How else are you going to stop him? You can't go high. He was already stopped. That's why he wasn't moving. Okay, what I saw is he just happened to plant the same time Minka hit his knee, which is not good. But he didn't need to hit him that low. It's not like there was nowhere else to hit him. I mean, yeah, but if the dude is averaging 6.6 yards a carry, bro, just get him down. But get him I, down I mean, for the season? No, but just tackle him. I don't <laughs> he know. Did his I, I think going shoulder him. first into hit the lower half of his leg is kind of dirty. I don't know. I, I, I see it a little differently. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong. It, it was an awkward hit. Um, and, obviously, you could tell Mika didn't mean to do that, you know, with his reaction on the sideline. Um, but, yeah, I, I completely understand why Mike Tomlin refers to Nick Chubb as Mr. Chubb because every time he plays the Steelers, man, it's just a fucking bloodbath. Like, yeah. nobody can do anything about this guy. Um, and it's just – it's a horrible injury, and I I really, really hated that we had to win that way. I absolutely hate that. Yeah. But then again, Jerome Ford had a good game, kind of replacing Nick Chubb. 16 carries, 106 is certainly not bad. Um, yeah. That 69-yarder had me wanting to throw my entire coffee table at the TV. I couldn't believe he cut across yeah. the field like that and scored. Well, luckily <laughs> you had George Pickens on your team, so – <laughs> you know, here's it, this is a question, Grayson. It, it, is George Pickens ready to be wide receiver number one over no. Deontay Johnson? I don't think so. See, before this game, I didn't really think so. But I don't know, man. He he only had four receptions on ten targets. What are you talking about? But but that's that's number one wide receiver in Pittsburgh right now. That's what that looks like. <laughs> I hope it doesn't, for your sake. <laughs> I hope that's oh, I, not what same. it looks like. I mean, when you're a quarterback, bro, Kenny Pickett looks awful. Like, yeah, he through sucks. the first two weeks. Uh, Najee Harris just gets the ball and is tackled immediately almost every single time. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out if I like Najee Harris or not, to be honest with you. I, I think Najee Harris is way more talented than Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren is just way more effective in our shitty system that Matt Canada runs. Yeah, Matt Canada, I think, is the problem with this team. Yeah. Good time. But, like, 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 there was, what, like a third and one where Kenny Pickett kept the ball and ran directly into the offensive lineman? That was to ice the game. Yeah. As well, yeah. Like, that's fucking brutal. He should have, first of all, if he was keeping the ball, he should have never dropped back. So if that was drawn up, that was dumb as shit. They shouldn't have sent the guy in motion unless they were going to jet sweep it to him. Like, there was nothing about that play. made. Se it seemed like everybody got it wrong, from the OC all the way down to the fucking left guard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's... It's a shit show. The only good thing about the Steelers is our pass rush, and that's what kind of won us this game, really. Besides besides Nick Chubb going down, our pass rush absolutely murdered Deshaun Watson the entire yeah. game. He also sucked, uh, as well as Kenny Pickett. Yeah, he did. We're very lucky that Deshaun Watson didn't show up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, but, like, yeah, this game... 
Honestly, I think the Steelers should start thinking about losing some games, get them in a better spot for a quarterback in the draft. Um, what do uh, you think? I mean, this is a quarterback loaded draft. You could probably get Quinn Ewers halfway through the first. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I'm not ready to give up on Kenny just yet because of what we saw from him at the end of last season. But. And it's horrible right now. And I don't know. I almost want to figure out the run game before we try to figure out Kenny Pickett. I think that's But fair. a little mini rant that I want to go on. Why was Levi Wallace covering Amari Cooper the entire time? Did, did you notice, Grayson, in that play, they literally cheesed Amari Cooper down the sideline on this poor Levi Wallace kid. Yeah. Like, why doesn't... Joey Porter Jr. get more snaps in this team, and he's the one who I—he's the one who got the uh, turnover on downs for us on that sideline play. Joey Porter Jr. defended that pass. Of course, it wasn't against Samari Cooper, but it's just like, damn. And then you have Levi Wallace drop, dropping that interception that was pretty much thrown to him. Yeah, in the, in the Browns' end zone, it's just horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And our offensive line is getting murdered, and our first-round draft pick out of Georgia is just sitting there on the bench watching them. It's just – Mike Tomlin, I would rather have nobody else coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers, Grayson. But he does not – he's not aggressive enough when it comes to making changes. He will sit there for two to three, four, five weeks and let us play bad and consistently play bad before we alter something. And I, I've just never understood that about him. Yeah, I, I think that no matter how good or bad this team looks throughout this season, they need to think about changes at offensive coordinator for sure. I Look, Mike Tomlin's going nowhere. I'm very well aware of that, and he shouldn't go anywhere. Matt Canada needs to probably go to Canada. Like I, it's He is so shit at play calling. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that team. Um, but I don't know either. I think that's going to conclude the NFL talk for us. Um, let's get into Ooh. the MLB. Uh, just it. a great week. A great week of news for the MLB. And um, it kind of all starts with teams that clinched. And we'll start my winners and losers with my first winner being the Baltimore Orioles. I love this team so much. And I hate to say oh, that to you, Luke. But they are fun, they are young, and they are fucking good at baseball. Uh, they clinched a playoff berth for the first time in seven years, and those boys got after it. They were chugging beers with their early season tool, the uh, Homer Hose, better known as the Dong Bong. Um, and then they eventually ran out of beer during the celebration and just started covering Heston Kerstad in condiments from the kitchen while pushing him around in a laundry cart a party yeah it was a fucking <laughs> party in that orioles clubhouse after that clinching game um they only clinched a playoff berth that that division is still very close between them and the rays but my next loser somebody who clinched something not as good the angels clinched their eighth straight year with a losing record and were eliminated from playoff contention in the same game yep with all the while having some of the greatest baseball players of all time on their team. <laughs> yeah. And I might as well just go ahead and transition to my next winner. He is one of those guys, Shohei Otani, um, because he's all but left Anaheim. 
That's why he's a winner. Um, we heard early in the weekend that his locker was cleaned out, and then we got the news that he was done for the rest of the season the next day. He finished the season. Uh, well, also, we got like fake reports that he was already in Japan. Um, that was entirely fake. Um, people saw him at the airport, all sorts of shit. But he finished the season with a 10.0 war, despite missing nearly the entire final month of the season, played 135 games, and he led the Angels in just about every significant stat on both sides. Um, he led them in average with a 304, home runs with 44, RBIs with 95, stolen bases with 20, runs with 102, on-base percentage of 412, slugging 654, OPS 1066, hits 151. But on the pitching side, he also led the team in ERA with 317, uh, wins with 10, strikeouts with 167, uh, whip with a 1.06, batting average against with a .184, and innings pitch with 132. The only significant stat uh, that he didn't lead in was saves, which obviously goes to their closer, Carlos Estevez. I mean, so he's okay. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> it's not like he won a World Baseball Classic this year. God, and they're 68 and 82. Yeah, oh, and they also have one of the guys that's regarded as one of the greatest players of all time, not Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Yeah, who may not be there next season either. Yeah, and also a guy that won a World Series and then made a big blockbuster move to L.A. to play third base, and he also sucks and didn't play half the season in Anthony Rendon. Rendon. Yeah. Yep. Struggle bus over there. It, yeah. It's like it's almost built into their culture at this yeah, point. Yeah, it is. To have good players and suck. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Angel's culture to suck um, really for the whole time that Mike Trout's been there. They made the playoffs one time with him. And they lost when the wild card was a winner takes all. It, and it's crazy. And I think, you know, all this Angels talk kind of has me thinking, and I'm I'm once again jumping in the same boat with you because I trust you and I love you, Grayson. But aside from that, it's there's something, you know, like we just said, systematic and culturally wrong with this team. No matter how good Otani and Mike Trout are at this point, they just got to be gone. It, there needs yeah. to be a complete reset of this team, and they just need to start over. That's yeah. the best thing for them. They need to have – they okay, first let Otani walk on, you know, nothing special about that this summer. You need to fire your president of baseball operations. You need to fire your GM, uh, fire your manager, and all of his supporting cast. Hire a new president of baseball operations and GM. Go for somebody analytics-based that probably has some uh, big-time assistant GM job right now. Pick him up for one of those roles. Pick somebody up for the other one. Let them work together. Find you a manager. That's your first thing. Find you a manager. Then find you a shitload of prospects that you want and ask for them. That's all you have to do is ask for them because you have the guys to give up. You have Mike Trout to give up for a ton of prospects. You have Anthony Rendon to give up for a ton of prospects. You have Tyler Anderson. You could literally give up every single good part of this team if you're willing to win in five years. Yeah. Because that's much better than not winning for 10. Because that's what Mike you've Trout already done. Orioles. Mike Trout to the Orioles. Fuck it. 
<laughs> fuck, like, I don't care. They can do whatever yeah. the fuck they want with this, with these assets they have, because they have value, just not when they play in 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 Anaheim. Yeah, yep. it's crazy. Um, yeah, but my next loser, uh, people that say baseball is not hard. We got more confirmation every single time. We get more confirmation, uh, from this time from the man himself, Coach Prime. He oh, wow. said on first take um, that he said it to Shannon Sharp, who asked him, what's the hardest thing to do, play football, play baseball, or coach? Dion said, hitting that baseball is the hardest thing he's done. This man has coached an HBCU to an almost perfect season after entirely turning around the program. He has gone to Colorado and already passed their projected win total as a coach, he has a fucking Hall of Fame jacket in the NFL. He played nine seasons of Major League Baseball, won a World Series, and he says that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing he's done in his career. I I don't disagree, and I've yeah. never played baseball. Yeah. So Straight anybody that says that, oh, basketball is the hardest sport, or football is the hardest sport, fuck you. You can't hit 90. You can't. You probably can't hit eighty-five with a tiny bit of arm side movement. Yeah, yeah. I think th- this is my trade-off. Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports, but the one thing that lowers baseball a little bit for me, right? And you can you can rant on me for this, okay? I need to hear. I think out of every sport, th- baseball has the most unathletic people. That can be good in that there, sport. There can be the most unathletic. I agree. Um, th- then again, like there are guys on NFL teams that aren't athletic in the sense of yeah. the term. But sure. MLB, yeah, there certainly can be. But when you think about the guys that start in the infield or start in the outfield, they have to be extremely fast, fast reaction Big times, close. strong arm. Like th- There are parts of the game that are very athletic. Um, For sure. And pitchers have to be very in tune with their body and how it functions, what they're able to do, how to create like that kind of burst of movement um, in this very small constricted windup, like all that stuff more goes into like uh, body, like awareness and flexibility. Uh, But I think that contributes to physicality um, and athleticism. So, you know, on a probably on like a micro scale, yeah, it's way less physically demanding. But then again, guys are throwing 105 pitches, um, and then they get four days off. So, <laughs> like, yeah. like there, there's, there's a super <laughs> strenuous activity that you do, and then you get time to rest. But also, the guys in the field who, or the guys in center field that cover hundreds of feet a game, just catching fly balls. And they do it every single day for 162 games. Like you get you get a day off a week most times. Yeah. That's where it gets to that point. But I agree with you. It's not like a physically demanding sport. It's not a bunch of ath- like super athletic guys. It's a bunch of guys that are very good at the one thing they do, and they do it the best out of anybody. I like it. Uh, but my next winner is Dave Roberts. Um, surprisingly, I am complimenting the Dodgers, but it's because it's not the playoffs yet. Um, they clinched 
the other day and during their celebration he had a speech before everybody's you know started the festivities and uh hit an all-time quote because he was trying to start talking like commend these guys for what they've done and you start hearing bottles start popping in the background and he goes no premature popping we're not 16 anymore grow up <laughs> 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 nice. This was great. He definitely had Clayton Kershaw laughing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just uh, nice to see a little bit of fun out of Dave Roberts. Uh, but my next loser is the White Sox, Rockies, Royals, and Athletics. And you might be thinking it's because they lose a lot of baseball games. Yes. But it's because they've recorded a worse record year by year over the last two years. So in 2021, as of, I think it was September 16th, their record got worse as of September 16th, 2022. And then in 2023, it was worse than it was in 2022. That's why they're losers. And that's why these next teams are winners, being the Diamondbacks, Braves, Orioles, Twins, Pirates, and Rangers. So as of September 16th, 2021, going into September 16th, 2022, these teams all improved and then did it again into 2023 uh but the only team that's won their division all three of those years the atlanta braves ow yeah it's interesting i i'm i'm honestly i'm pulling for teams like pittsburgh and minnesota i i Mm -hmm. want them to play good yeah i'm pulling for pittsburgh for sure i'm I'm pulling for baltimore just because they're so much fun to watch i don't i don't like the twins they just kind of always suck uh, and they always choke in the playoffs if they do make it. So I don't really care for them. But like Pirates, D-backs, Orioles, teams that have really done like a good youth rebuild, those are the teams I like. The Twins, they go out, they get free agents. Same for the Rangers. Um, yeah. Those are the teams, obviously, sure. outside of the Braves that I'm rooting for. Sure. Uh, but the uh, the final loser, even though I have two special categories here, the final loser is Angel Hernandez, per usual. Uh, the eternal loser of the MLB recap on second and short. Um, but he he one-upped himself. He had the worst game of the season the other day. Yeah, I have it in my notes as well. Yeah, 92 <laughs> calls, and he missed 16 of them. Yeah. <clears throat> Come on. Correct call rate of 82.6. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah, that's worse <laughs> than terrible. That is... It was... Uh... Did you say that it was the worst umpired game since April 22nd? I did not. No, April 2022. But, yeah, yeah, it was the worst game of the season. Um, It's just crazy. Worst game over a year, in over a year. Um, Man, he sucks, dude. And has just in postseason form. (laughs) He really is. Too bad he's not going to get any of the games. (laughs) And then he's just going to sue the MLB saying that, oh, it's because I'm Hispanic. Yeah. It's like, all right, that's why C.B. Buckner also sucks, but he gets selected. Um, Nonetheless, we're not talking about that. Um, So my two special categories, uh, the first one is lucky they're a winner. Uh, It's the Blue Jays. They got swept by the Rangers in their four-game series last week. (coughs) But after that series, all nine games that impacted them in their playoff chances went their way. So, And there was a a 0.19% chance that that happened. So My God. Last Monday, they had a 79% playoff percentage. After they got sweeped four games straight, 
They were at a 33% playoff percentage. And now, as of, I believe, Sunday or Monday, they're back to a 79% playoff percentage. Ow. I, I don't know. Like, the, the games against the Red Sox went perfect. The other teams lost in the wild card, and it all just evened out somehow. But for nine games to go in their favor is crazy. Oh, man. I wish my team could get that lucky. Yeah, well... I don't think that's going to happen. It's not. <laughs> you guys aren't eliminated. Yeah, we're also not below 500. Correct. We're still hanging on, baby. Correct. You guys are not. <laughs> uh, but my second special category is playing like shit, uh, and that goes to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, we've lost four straight in horrible fashion. Uh, Three-game sweep by the Mar- uh, Marlins, including a 16-2 to routing, and uh, losing the first of the homestand. To the Phillies, uh, pitching has been abysmal, and we've been outscored forty-three to fourteen in this four-game stretch. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck we decided to do after we left Philly as National League East champions, but um, it seems like quitting was the option we selected. <laughs> it's it's all gonna be all right. Yeah, like it's, it's fine. It all fun. works out. <laughs> like we're still the best team in baseball by two yep. games. Um, but I'd like to get over 100 sooner rather than later. Yeah, of course. But that's, that's I don't know, it's, it's a little greedy. <laughs> I guess they got to keep me in check. Yeah. Um, Put your Braves fans in check. So other news, the MLB is announcing a Team Silver Slugger Award this season. Oh, that's dumb. Be mm-hmm. better and you'd get a real one. Yeah. That's stupid. Like a second place award right there. Yeah. Like, who needs a team silver slugger? If you were that good, you just get an actual silver slugger. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't understand. Um, Manny Machado says that he expects to have surgery soon and anticipates a six to seven month recovery. Uh, but he's still in the lineup. I don't dude, just go ahead and get the fucking surgery. You need to come back. Uh, that's brutal. I, I hate that for Manny. I really do. Yeah, it does suck. Uh, congrats to Adam Wainwright on finally getting his 200th career win. Took him long enough. Um, yeah. And di- go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. No, he's no, no, now, you're, the, you're he's now the fifth active player with 200 wins. The other four being Scherzer, Kershaw, Verlander, and Granke. Oh, okay. Active, active you said. Active. Okay, I, I was about to say, there's no way that all those pitchers did that, and they're all from our lifetime, but you said active. Yeah. Um, impressive though. Adam Wainwright, I'm, I'm honestly surprised he didn't retire last year. He's yeah, still I think kicking. I think he wanted to get to 200 wins. Um, because he has taken far too long to do that. Um, you know, debuting in 2005, uh, and and being a pretty good pitcher, like a three five ERA over your career, you should have more than 200 wins. Uh, but he's never been all that good at like stopping people from scoring on him and he also like yes he has led the league twice in wins with 19 but and like he's had 20 win seasons multiple times but it was like the the random years where he'd get hurt and he'd have like two wins that held him back so badly um and a lot of like 10 to 15 win seasons just it doesn't work Whereas Scherzer and Kershaw and Verlander, Granky, they all had like multiple twenty win seasons, multiple twenty pluses, uh, and Wainwright just 
never really seemed to do that. Yep. And the last Wainwright stat that I have is uh, he's the oldest pitcher in Cardinals history to throw seven shutout innings as of yesterday against yeah. the Pirates. Yeah, good for him, man. That makes sense. No, against the Brewers. He's, uh, he's what, 42? I think. 42 years old. Yeah. Um, shout out Royce Lewis. He recorded his fifth Grand Slam of the season. Um, that was only his 66th career game. That's the fewest games needed for five Grand Slams in MLB history by a country mile. The only other player to hit five Grand Slams before their 150th career game was Rudy York, who hit five Grand Slams, 139. It only took Royce Lewis 66. Wow. Yeah. Um, I actually have a different stat here, and he actually reached um, four-plus Grand Slams in the shortest amount of games. So he did it in 18. Don Mattingly in 87 did it in 39. Travis Hafner in 2006 did it in 44. 1968, uh, Tim Northrup. I think I can't even read my own handwriting here, but he did it in 45. And then Ralph Kinnar did it in 48 games. Kiner, thank you. Did it in 48 games. So... Yeah, just a really like abnormal 2023 uh Grand Slam year for Royce Lewis. Yeah, it's absurd. Um speaking of Grand Slams, Jazz Chisholm, second player since 1900 to hit a Grand Slam, steal three bases in a game. He joins Mike Cameron who did it on May 16th, 2002. Damn, I love me some Jazz. Yeah, and that was in the game where they skull fucked the Braves. Um, Bartolo Colon officially retired as a Met over the weekend. Congrats to Big Sexy. Uh, a legend. Like, honestly, in the five years that he hasn't been pitching in the MLB, he has been the best Instagram follow there is because every couple weeks he just posts a video on his like Samsung, which has horrible quality. Um, and he's just like in a baseball field made of dust and like corrugated sheet metal. Uh, and just like striking out 15 year olds it's awesome wow yeah it's the greatest um and uh shout out matt olson he hit home run number 52 of the season setting a new braves franchise record for single season home run total damn beating out andrew jones an elite list be a part of there and matt olson too yeah Uh, would you have expected it to be at matt olson honestly um (laughs) On this team, it's really like it's Matt Olson and, and Austin Riley on this, you know, current team that I'd assume would do something like that. Um but then again, like the way that we saw Olsen really hit for power this season, but really not give up the batting average, at least like some guys behind him in home runs this season have. Um I'm talking to you, Kyle Schwarber, who hit his forty fifth of the year. Um, and I think he's still under two hundred batting average. Um, but Matt Olson has had a very good year all around. And the fact that he's doing that while hitting 52 home runs is nothing short of great. Love to see it. He's batting 279 this season and he's got 52 homers. (laughs) I couldn't. Just unfair, man. Yeah. And he's first in the MLB in uh, RBIs. You still have a lot of strikeouts though. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he can them daddy hacks. His oh, eyes yeah, are closed. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's <laughs> on base. Um, exactly. Nonetheless, uh, what MLB news do you have? Um, 
seem to have a reoccurring theme of loving to talk about this guy, but it's one of the only bright spots on my team, and that's Anthony Volpe. Listen, he has more home runs, and of course, you know, we've all admitted that the shortstops have kind of just been meh this year offensively. Yeah. He has more home runs than Dansby. Xander, Carlos Correa, and Bo Bichette. He also has a better DRS, which DRS, I think, is defensive runs saved. Correct. And it basically calculates, like, errors, range, outfield arm, and double playability. He has a better DRS than Francisco Lindor, Gunnar Henderson, Corey Seager, and Jeremy Pena. So, although Volpe really has sucked at getting on base, he's, you know, still been somewhat effective offensively and defensively for the New York Yankees, and I just can't wait to see how, you know, he can better his game. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to be an exciting one to watch. You know, if he can really develop offensively, he could be great. Um, is that going to help the pitching problem on this team? No. Uh, but nonetheless, he could be great. Um, he could also be absolute dog shit. Just wait until we re-sign Glaber, trade for Mike Trout, and then sign Yamamoto. It's over. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait over. for that scenario to happen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, my next thing that I have is uh, Adolis Garcia and Josh Jung are coming back from injury at like what seems to be the perfect time for the yeah. Rangers. I don't think that they're knocked out yet, but I just wanted to bring up the fact that, you know, they're getting two of their best offensive players back at, like I said, the perfect time. Yeah, it is perfect timing. Um. Kind of exciting. The Rays are expected to announce their new stadium in St. Petersburg, which is kind of like a suburb of Tampa. Uh, I, I believe it's just south of Tampa, correct? Uh, St. Pete. Yeah, it's it's kind of like southwest. See how he called it St. Pete? This is a native that we're talking to here. I'm not but, a native. Um, My family's from <laughs> Exactly. But um, and it, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. It's obviously going to be really expensive. Um, I think it's going to have like its kind of own area around it. It's going to be like and the, the pictures, yeah, which is, you know, I think the contrary to what the Dodgers uh, journalist thinks, the battery <laughs> is like exactly how every MLB stadium should exactly. be. Exactly. Um, their stadium looks crazy in the, in the pictures that I've seen of it, um, kind of like the aerial photos. Yeah. Look it looks like it's going to be a badass stadium. Yeah, it looks sick. Um, hopefully, they can actually fill it up. That's <sighs> that's a big issue. So, uh, um, yeah, for sure. I'd love for them to be able to do that. But, like, you know, in the meantime, just keep winning baseball games. This fan base is so weird. Because, like, this fan base is getting, like, weird about the fact that they're not going to win this division or they might not win this division. They they clinched a playoff spot, and they're like, well, we expected that from the Rays. How? You guys you guys have won five – you guys have made the postseason five years in a row. How? Like, I, I don't understand how you still expect it. Like, I, I get winning it a lot – like, getting in a lot, you should expect it. This Rays team, on paper, should have never made the postseason any of those five years. And they just continue to do it. I don't understand how a team like that can have this idea that they should be making the playoffs when a team like the Seattle Mariners, who have like an actual history, they're like, they never know when they're going to make it. They've made it five years all time. You're so exactly right. If their fans would stop being pieces of shit, maybe that stadium 
when they remodel everything, get everything new, will be great. If their fans continue to be assholes and don't want to support this team to the level that they have earned, it's still going to suck, whether it's a cool place to go or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that concludes it. Okay, well, yeah. let's talk about the playoff picture then. Uh, quite a lot has happened, so I have a, a little bit of a recap here written. Uh, so over the last week... Braves clinched the NL East and a first-round bye due to the Brewers losing to the Cardinals on Monday. The Dodgers clinched the NL West. The Orioles and Rays clinched playoff berth. And uh, the AL East is still a toss-up between the two, but they're all in. That's really the biggest updates I have on the contenders. Uh, so, way the standings look right now, we would have Baltimore as the one Sorry, in the AL, Baltimore would be the one seed. They would play the winner of Tampa Bay versus Toronto, the four and the five seed, respectively. And then you'd have the number two seed Astros versus the winner of the number three seed Minnesota Twins versus the number six seed Texas Rangers. It's it's heating up, dude. I, I'm pumped. Yeah, Texas and pumped. Seattle actually have exactly the same record, but Texas has the tiebreaker over the Mariners. Yeah, and I mean, how about... Um... No, we we have series is like uh, Baltimore and Houston just played each other, and I think yesterday's game ended up coming down to like an eight to seven Baltimore win. Yeah, and it's just oh my gosh, I I can't wait for playoffs, man. Cannot wait. Yeah, it's gonna be great, and like the Rays get an easy one right now with the Angels, but if the Orioles play well against the Astros, they inadvertently help out the Rays, which the Rays have everything locked up, but. The Orioles have to continue to play good in this series if they have any hope. The Giants and Diamondbacks are facing off. That's huge for the playoffs because the Giants are only two and a half games out. Um, and then, like, the Dodgers playing against a shitty Tigers team, but they're all kind of locked up anyways. Brewers need to get wins over the Cardinals. They lost to the Cardinals the other day. Now the Braves have uh, home field advantage clinched. They got to figure some things out. And the Blue Jays are facing a Yankees team that really hasn't been that bad. Yeah. So, yep. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this goes, but a, a lot of things could change. I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding still on that because this wild card race is not closed on either side. Like the the NL is just as close as it was. Like the Cubs moved down a ton, so just kind of things to watch. Um, the Orioles have a two-and-a-half game lead over Tampa. Baltimore does hold the tiebreaker in that. Uh, the Astros only lead the Rangers and Mariners both by one-and-a-half games. The Rangers and Mariners have the same record, like I said, but Texas has the tiebreaker. And the Cubs hold the third wild-card spot based on a slight lead in winning percentage uh, over the Reds and Marlins, who... Um, the Reds are actually tied with the Cubs, but the Cubs have the tiebreaker, and then the Marlins are a half game back of both of those teams. Uh, but they're also vying for that third spot. The Giants are only two games out of that spot. It's not closed, but the Cubs totally got screwed this weekend. The Diamondbacks yeah, yeah. surged. That's what I'm saying is that the Cubs are over here two and eight in their last ten, which is not at all how they've been playing recently, and it's not good for you know the time of season that we're in. And it's looking like the Reds, you know, as of today, probably deserve it more than the Cubs do right now. Agreed. 
for sure. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's kind of everything. Uh, Miami does hold the tiebreaker over the Reds if they end up tied. Uh, so we'll have to keep that in mind because that could be a big thing as well. Um, and then the Giants. The stipulations. Yeah, a lot of stipulations there. Uh, in the American League, not quite as much to deal with. It's really the Rays have already clinched a, a playoff spot. They're nine and a half games ahead. They're probably going to clinch the top seed in the wild card. Um, and then Blue Jays are only one game ahead of the Rangers and Mariners, and that's kind of everybody in the race. So only one team as of right now still has a chance but won't make it outside of the Yankees, who are six games back. I don't want to fully disrespect them. I'll bring them up in this conversation. Um, it's not like I didn't exclude the Padres who are five and a half games out. But um, the main four are, are, are pretty pretty tight. Well, really the three. The two, three, and four uh, for the wild card are super tight. And it's going to come down to some big series. Uh, neither of these three teams have like an easy schedule per se. Um, let's see. We'll start with Seattle. Like they finished the season. Luckily, two games against Oakland, but then Seattle and Texas face off seven times total in the last ten games of the season. What? Why? It's going to be insane. <laughs> and they they close out with a four game series between the two. But Seattle has to play Houston wow. between those two series, whereas Texas has to play the Angels. They might catch a break. If if they take, let's say, one out of three on Seattle, Seattle pulls ahead of them, and then they go to L.A., they sweep, but the Astros take one, or the Astros take two, maybe sweep against the Mariners, then all of a sudden it's a whole different thing, and we go into this four-game series locked up. But the Blue Jays could make that, a little bit less of a big deal if they struggle because they've got New York for three games, Tampa for three games, New York for three games, Tampa for three games to end their schedule. Wow. Damn. Well, we got some good-ass games, but it do. sounds like the Mariners are fucked. Maybe. Not if they play well against a Rangers team that's certainly not in good form. They lost. They got swept by the Guardians, and they already lost the opener to the Boston. Who also have not been very good as of late. No. But, um, I don't know. The Astros are going to be tough, though. They they definitely will be. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super excited for the playoffs. We've got, what, like 13 games left? Something like that? It's it's coming down to it, man. Yeah, I it's, think the, right the final day of the season is October 1st, I believe. Um, and, of course, not everybody's going to play every day there. But nonetheless, um, yeah, the playoff picture is winding down, and uh, I just can't wait for postseason baseball. Oh, it's going to be great, man. Yeah, it's, it, going, it's to going to be, be a whole nother vibe. Uh, I'll tell you all <laughs> that. Uh, but let's talk let's talk college football. It's that time of the year, and um, I'm certainly not going to skip out on it just because no calling. So, um, yeah, th- this was supposed to be one of the most boring slates of the year. Week three was supposed to be shit. And it turned into a lot of close games and late thrillers. So why not start with the most thrilling? Number 18, Colorado, wins it over number or unranked Colorado State, 43-35 in double overtime. 
Uh, obviously, Jay Norvell, the head coach of Colorado State, made the comments about taking off your hat, your sunglasses when you go inside and when you talk to people, whatever. Dion, of course, every single week he has to take something personal. That's what he took personal this week. Um, goes on the Pat McAfee show, talking his shit. Of course, it's Dion. Like it, it is Coach Prime. He doesn't give a <laughs> fuck who you are or what you're about. He's going to no. beat the shit out of you. Uh, regardless, and he's gonna have a good reason. And uh, yeah, after the after the Travis Hunter hit, they really had a good reason because <coughs> that hit was okay. Look, it was dirty. Probably shouldn't have done it. That was a football hit. That that's that's what happens in football. I know it was a late hit. These happen every week. Yeah, yeah. like the people uh, that are like I, this kid should be suspended, or the people that are fucking sending this kid death threats. You're fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and I I give all the praise in the world to Coach Prime uh, coming out in the press conference saying, like, there's no reason he should be receiving all this hate. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Especially, like like you said, the death threats is just, he's just a kid. Like, he's a college kid trying to figure it out like the rest of us are. Yeah. And and honestly, like, yes, it, it sucks that Travis Hunter is out for three weeks with a lacerated liver. Henry Blackburn knew early in the game that he was going to do that. Like, he was going to hit Travis Hunter. He didn't mean to fucking hurt him or sideline him. He meant to make a yeah. statement, and he made a fucking statement. Damn right he did. <laughs> yeah, but also, Shiloh Sanders made a statement. He had a great game, certainly moving up the kid power rankings for Dion. Um <laughs> With those two forced turnovers, um, I'm excited to see that throughout the season. The, the kids' ranking. Because yeah. Shador is still amazing. The guy still had a fucking fantastic game. Um, but my my big question to you, and, and I don't even know if you're like in the know with this conversation, but how do you feel about Colorado storming the field? Colorado storming the field. Yeah, they win as the number 18 over an unranked opponent they were favored by quite a few points against. They win it in second overtime and they stormed the field. Oh, no, no fuck that. Okay, like, look, good. it's a it's a rivalry game. You already had the trash talk. It was building up. Let them storm the field. Who cares if they were supposed Whoa. to win or not? Hold on. You want them to storm the field? Fuck yeah. I think that's fucking ridiculous. You, they were a 23-point oh, favorite at home. They shouldn't have been in this situation. It shouldn't have been <laughs> this close. It never should have gone to overtime. This is a game that Colorado should have handedly won. They should have gotten their business done, and it was over. I get that the emotions were high, whatever. But, like, yeah, it's an exciting game. It's an exciting game to win. It's your in-state rival. I'm not storming the field. If I'm a home favorite, we're not storming the field. I don't know. I, I disagree. I, I, I feel I feel like the emotion outweighs what you said. Um. It was it was the perfect end to that game, storming the field. I don't know. I, I don't like it. And, and like, the thing is, I don't know how the Pac-12 works on this, but like in the SEC, if your students storm the field, you get fined half a half a million dollars, I believe. They pay for it anyway. And they don't like it though. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> true. Um, See, so yeah, I I hate I hate that they storm the field. I think it's stupid. Uh, I don't know. Uh, You're no fun. Yeah, whatever. 
but let's talk about this one. Uh, a great upset from this week, Missouri, putting up yes. 30 and taking the win over number 15, Kansas State, um, 30-27. The game-winning field goal coming from the thicker kicker himself, Harrison <laughs> Mevis or Mevis, and the Missouri Tigers remain undefeated, 3-0. and just another team in the SEC that, you know, is going to be kind of a, a, a team that's going to compete with people, I, I think. You know, a team that's going to shake things up. Yeah. And, and shout out to their head coach from Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz. Um, he, in his press conference after the game, obviously very happy that the, the kicker made the kick and all that, especially considering last year he missed a kick that made them go to overtime against Auburn and then they lost. Um, but... Brady Cook, their quarterback, was getting shit on all game. They were booing that quarterback, and then they win, and all of a sudden he's a superhero. And their coach fucking called out those fans. He was talking about how disappointed he was in their fans, that they were booing for him and calling for his job and all this shit. And then he came out 356, two touchdowns. So shout-out Brady Cook, shout-out Eli Drinkwitz, and shout-out the thicker kicker. Yeah, That's I literally love what his, his Wikipedia says, nicknamed the thicker kicker. That's perfect. Um, no, I, I love what I love it when a coach um sticks up for their quarterback like that. It's always awesome to see. Yeah, actually, I want to bring this up. Uh, so I didn't put in the prep sheet because I wasn't aware of it. Iowa won forty-one ten over Western Michigan. Iowa number twenty-five in the nation. And their OC has been under a little heat because I guess it came out that if he doesn't average 25 points a game, that he'll lose his job at the end of the season. Really? Uh, Yeah. And they put up 41 this week. And then somebody put out a clip of a press conference of his where he says something to the effect of, you guys had fun with that 25-point narrative and... Last time I checked on Saturday, we put up 41. So you guys can grab your little stepladders and climb out of my ass. <laughs> but everybody quickly figured out that was fake. It was a deep fake. Oh, but that scares the shit out of me. Like, what what does that mean for the future of press conferences? If we can just start oh. putting out fake press conference clips that look pretty real. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm actually learning about it a lot in school right now. I, I'm actually in a class that is designed to teach me how to spot like fake shit on the internet as nice. a journalist. And the deep fake shit is um, terrifying. And I've actually never even thought of it being used in sports before. Yeah. It, mainly, it's like politicians, but yeah, that's actually really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but let's get to the next game. Another big upset. Number or uh, unranked Florida. Beats number 11, Tennessee, 29-16. And really the big story here is the late hit on Graham Mertz uh, while he was kneeling to end the game, which somehow escalated into two players in full pads squaring up on the field. That was Um, ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely one of the funniest clips come out of the weekend uh, from college football. After this altercation, as time time didn't even expire yet, and all of the Tennessee players went to the locker room. Um, and Josh Heupel, after they come back out on the field and, and kneel out the game clock, 
Josh Heupel goes to the center of the field and apologizes to Billy Napier for the actions of his players and for going to the locker room and then having to come back out and kneel out the game clock. So uh, I, I respect Josh Heupel, uh, but what his players did in that game was fucking ridiculous. You you just can't do that. Everybody knows. He literally, like, everybody knows don't hit the quarterback, especially when you know he's going to kneel it. Like, how how dumb could you possibly be and then fucking squaring up in full pads? Come on. <laughs> like that's yeah like when the game's over as well yeah like, what uh, are you damn, fucking it, doing not a good look at all but this um this definitely deflates a lot of the hype surrounding tennessee uh, i don't think a lot of people expected this to happen um but yeah it just kind of like it honestly stresses me out to like think of what the locker room looked like in in for tennessee after this game yeah I, i'm sure it was just a complete bloodbath a lot of yelling yeah, I, I think Hypel is going to whip these boys into shape um, because they've got a lot of SEC games left. Uh, obviously, next week, an easier one against UTSA, but then you have South Carolina, A&M, Alabama, Kentucky, and then you get kind of a break with UConn, and then you play a Missouri team that looks good right now, and then Georgia and Vandy to end the season. This is not an easy year for Tennessee, and if they're going to play like this against a team like Florida that – Really, there was no expectation for them to win this game. Like Tennessee was favored by, yeah, five points, um, but they're in the swamp. That's a hard place to be a favorite. And Trevor Etienne, the brother of Travis Etienne, absolutely dicked down this defense. 23 carries, 172 yards, one touchdown. And Graham Mertz had a shitter of a game. He didn't have to play quarterback in this game, and Florida still beat the brakes off of Tennessee. So, yeah, they, they got to figure some things out because that second quarter, giving up 20 points to Florida is crazy. Yeah, and I, I kind of wonder what this means for Florida. Um, obviously, you know, they weren't going to be as good this year as they were last year, um, you know, with Anthony Richardson kind of making things exciting for them. But yeah. they, they still look like, you know, they can compete with other SEC teams and kind of like with what I said about Missouri. They're just another team that's going to be there to shake things up, like yeah. how they did uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, is Billy Napier actually a good coach? You know, are they recruiting well? Because, you know, we we know about what happened this summer where Jaden Rashada flipped his commitment super late because they offered him $13 million to come in NIL. And then they pulled it away and he was like, fuck you guys, I'm going to Arizona State. And he's starting as a true freshman. Yeah, crazy. So, you know, if they're recruiting right and they're recruiting well, um, then yeah, they've certainly got a chance to be good. If not, this is going to be what Florida looks like, um, which wasn't too bad. Uh, but the next big thing, uh, number 10, Alabama, barely gets away with the win against USF, 17-3. to This game was 3-3 heading into halftime, um, <laughs> which is crazy. Like, that, that shouldn't happen, but... The main reason that happened is because of the shitty quarterback play from Alabama. They decided to bench Jalen Milrow after his tough, tough loss against Texas last week. And Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner combined for 10 completions and one, or sorry, negative one rushing yards. Um, and just only, just over 100 passing yards between the two. No touchdowns, no interceptions. 
but they sucked. Luckily, their run game came out of nowhere with Roydell Williams, 17 carries, 129, and a touchdown. Jason McClellan, 13 carries, 74 yards, but good God, did they look bad. And, and shout out to this USF defense that actually looked pretty good. Yeah, they really did. Um, just a strange game. I mean, Nick Saban hasn't really been in a position like this many times in his career. And no. it's just, um, it's interesting to, you know, be a part of the Alabama downfall. And uh, I love to be, I'm, I'm glad that I'm here. <laughs> yeah. But then again, like at some point, they're just going to get a quarterback and they'll be fine, which is going to piss me yeah. off. Exactly. Like it's obvious that this year is not the year for them to have a quarterback because we've seen all three of them play now and they all suck. Um, it, Saban did confirm that Milrose getting the job back after this yeah. one, obviously. Um, but you know, like what what changes from from the Texas game to to Ole Miss next week? Which I don't know. A- Alabama though, at home. We'll talk about that game a little bit more later, but that might be a trap for Ole Miss. Ole Miss might be walking into a scary-ass spot in Tuscaloosa um, because they've played bad the last two weeks. It's not serving well for Ole Miss to look good. Uh, Nonetheless, the next game, Texas somehow ends up winning 31-10 after they entered the fourth quarter tied 10-10 with Wyoming. Yeah, and Crazy. I mean, look at Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers says here, stinker. Yeah, eleven, um, eleven completions, twenty-one attempts, one hundred and thirty-one yards, two touchdowns. Like, yeah, what happened? <laughs> what, what's I going on over here? Well, they had the run game this week, which was huge. Twenty-one carries, yeah. one hundred and sixty-four yards from Jonathan Brooks. Like, that's insane. And, and Xavier Worthy somehow found out how to how to have a good game in the receiving game when your quarterback throws 131 yards is get four receptions for 56 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> and have your longest reception be a 44-yarder. Yeah. But like this is weird because, you know, we're talking about Texas and Alabama and how Texas kind of whipped them up last week and now both of these teams struggle to score points in, in the first half especially, but in the third quarter as well, and then Texas comes out, puts up 21 on the board in the fourth. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I think the Wyoming players were just like, holy shit, like we're actually in this game. And then it just... <laughs> and that's when they lost. Just fucking smacked them across the face. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. And then uh, next one, number three, Florida State Seminoles. They squeak one out against a okay. shit Boston College team. 31 Explain something to me because I, I obviously, as you know, not the biggest college football fan. I'm not, yeah. you know, in tune with it like you and Colin are. Where did Florida State come from? How are they third? I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, so we started the season eighth. And then we how, beat, how did they start eighth then? We finished the season last year at number 13. Um, but the only reason we dropped was because we didn't play in a conference championship game and then we won our bowl game as well. Okay. And we gotcha. we have in the last I think for the last two years have had like the best transfer portal of any team. Um, Except for Travis Hunter. Well, that's kind of unfair. <laughs> that's a transfer yeah. portal as well. He was never gonna yeah, come to Florida portal. State after Jackson State. Um yeah. but yeah, like 
our our starting quarterback Jordan Travis, who's like top five in Heisman odds, transferred here from Louisville a couple of years ago. Um, our starting running back Trey Benson transferred here from Oregon. Uh, Keon Coleman, who has been one of our best wide receivers, transferred here from Michigan State. Johnny Wilson came from Arizona State. Jaheim Bell came from South Carolina. All of our best players on offense came in the transfer portal. And also our defensive player who was a projected first-rounder last year that stayed, Jared Verse, uh, we found at like a super small like New York school. Um, I think he went to like SUNY Albany, I believe. Wow. Um, but we found him while scouting um, for Syracuse. Um, and wow. so, yeah, we have one of the best head coaches when it comes to the transfer portal with Mike Norvell, and that's why we are number three because we started the season at eight, beat LSU, whipped up on Southern Miss, and just capitalized on the fact that Alabama went down. Ohio State's had a bad start. So that's why. I appreciate the rundown. That was a yeah. good. That was a good breakdown. Uh, but we looked like dog shit in this game. Uh, our defense just <laughs> could not do anything. I don't know what the fuck the problem was because we went into the like it, it was fine that it was close early. We go into the second half with like a decent like a, a one touchdown lead. Um, it, it was seventeen ten. Cool. They come out. They've got some fire in them in the third quarter, and then it nothing. In the fourth quarter. And Jordan Travis hurt his uh, non-throwing shoulder in the second quarter, which kind of hurt him a little bit. Pretty obvious that he didn't want to get as mobile as usual. Um, so so that really hurt us. Um, so I think his hesitation kind of limited the offense. But nonetheless, like Johnny Wilson still dropping passes, though he had four receptions for 105 yards. When you're 6'7 at wide receiver, it's pretty hard to catch a ball at your hips. Um, Jaheim Bell had his best game of the year, though. Five receptions, 76 yards, one touchdown. Lawrence Toafili was useless. Keon Coleman was useless. Um, Like, luckily, we won this game. Uh, We got totally bailed out by a face mask on on a third down play um, that extended our drive and allowed us to run out the clock. But, yeah, that was... Brutal, but like Boston College's quarterback Thomas Castellanos had I was about to say crazy performance 20 for 33, 305, one touchdown, one interception, and he had 95 yards and one touchdown on the ground. Yeah, that's a that's a you know, just a solid 400 yard game, yeah, there for him. <laughs> yeah, he was absurd. Um, yeah, just, just like his last name should be Sanders, maybe. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the Man. defense just looked like shit for the Knowles, so that's why uh, that one was so bad. But let's talk about Georgia because they certainly didn't look good either. Uh, number one, UGA only puts up twenty four on uh, South Carolina, who brings it within ten. They lose or uh, Georgia wins twenty four fourteen. But South Carolina, fucking, they had to have had people scared. Fourteen three at half, South Carolina. I was scared. I mean, like I am to the point where. I am like this close to saying that Brock Grant Vandergriff should probably be the new quarterback. It Carson Beck is definitely more talented than Stetson Bennett, but you can tell that the offense is kind of steer still geared towards Stetson Bennett. It, it's yeah. almost like it's crazy to say Georgia is not geared to having a good quarterback. Their offense just isn't, in my opinion. Maybe Stetson Bennett was a very you know situational quarterback. Um, 
or systematic quarterback rather, who, you know, he was good, but he's not like the flashy kind of good. He's not going to throw a lot. He's yeah. not going to throw for a lot of yards. And Carson Beck is kind of that more, you know, like flashy type of quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, UGA's offense, man, it's just – I don't know if it's, you know, really Carson Beck as much as it is like the play calling for Carson Beck, but they, we're going to have to change something because, yeah, we might be 3-0. and Yeah, that we might be number one in the nation. But if we were to play like a Texas or an Ole Miss, I honestly don't know what the fuck would happen with UGA. Yeah, well, you guys are playing in Ole Miss in a couple of weeks. Um, exactly. Luckily, you're in Athens, which is going to help you out a lot. But nonetheless, I think that's going to be a good test for you guys. Um, South Carolina was obviously a test. Uh, Mike Bobo failed. Um, that's pretty <laughs> obvious. He is such a shit offensive coordinator. Um, there's a reason that they fired him in the early 2000s. And it's the same no. shit we're seeing now. Uh, it's It's absurd. Um, so yeah, they definitely need to be looking at the market. I'm sure Kirby smart has probably already sat down and had interviews for that offensive coordinator job, knowing damn well, he's not replacing him till the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, sure. but yeah, I, I agree that Brock is probably better than Carson, but Carson Beck just doesn't, <coughs> he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do anything great. He just doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, he's the type of quarterback that on like a third and long, he'll make it like a fourth and mid, something yeah. like that. He's yes, not someone that's exactly. going to get you the – he's not, a, you know, someone who's going to throw for the first down. He's going to make it a better punt. Yeah. And that's just not good enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Luckily, Dijon Edwards kind of made his return back onto the scene. Uh, 20 carries, 118 yards, one touchdown. That's what I need to see out of Georgia. I need dominant running performances. That's going to be a big help for the rest of the season. Because yeah. if you're making Carson Beck make the decisions and you're making Mike Bobo make the decisions, you're going to lose football games. Yeah. And w with how this team looks, I, I can only assume they probably will lose some football games this year. Unfortunately, man, it's um the three Pete looks worse and worse every yeah. every single week, really. Yeah, and um, shout out to a guy who was a non factor last year when I brought him up. Um, me and <laughs> this was like one of the first episodes of this podcast. I shouted this guy out because he had a cool name and he had a great game in this one for South Carolina. Five receptions, eighty six yards for Omega Blake. Omega, fucking amazing name. What a <laughs> How perfect of a callback. He literally did, like, nothing in the game that I called him out for because he had a cool name. <laughs> Showing up, five receptions, 86 yards against the number one team in the nation. Love to see it. Uh, shout out Shane Beamer, though. Coached a fantastic first half. Um, look, South Carolina, they played a good football game. They played a good football game against North Carolina as well, and they lost both of them. The problem with South Carolina is that they don't have just that little bit more to get them over the hump. They exactly. could be they like a little bit better quarterback play, a little bit better offensive line, maybe some better players on defense. That's like three things that yeah, it's kind of important, pretty big things. That's three things that changed them from one and two to three and oh. They could have beat Georgia. Yeah. 100%. With more stability especially on the offensive line and a quarterback, they would have beat Georgia last week. They didn't. 
Now they play a Mississippi State team that's kind of down on their luck as well. They struggled against LSU. And then they face Tennessee, who is obviously down against Florida, but I'm sure they'll bounce back. And then they play Florida the next week. They play a hot Missouri team, an A&M team that it looks like a chickens with their heads cut off. Um, but I, I don't know. South Carolina, they could get their shit together. They could not. Like, they could end up winning six games. They could end up winning eight games. Like, I don't know. But for now, it just seems like a few – they're they're just a few things short. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely agree. But let's talk about the new AP poll. Um, not too much changes at the top. Uh, Georgia stays one. Michigan stays two. Texas and Florida State switch. Uh, just because Texas kind of handed to uh, Wyoming there late in the game. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I, I don't really care. We stay in the top four, so I'm not mad. Uh, but, yeah, Texas moves to three, Florida State to four, uh, USC, Ohio State, Penn State, Washington, Notre Dame all stay in their same places, five through nine. And then Oregon moves up three spots to number 10 ahead of their matchup against Colorado next week. Utah moves up one to 11 ahead of their ranked matchup against UCLA. Number 12 uh, is now LSU. They move up two spots. Alabama drops another three after their tough game against USF. Um, And they've got to play Ole Miss next week. Oregon State has moved up two spots to 14. Ole Miss moves up two spots to 15. Oklahoma moves up three spots to 16. North Carolina moves up three spots to 17. Duke moves up three spots to 18. Colorado drops one spot. After that double overtime uh, victor, victory, Miami moves up to the 22 spots. Washington State moves up 2 to 21. UCLA moves up 2 to 22. Tennessee goes down 12 all the way to 23. Iowa moves up one spot to 24. <laughs> and uh, Florida, newly ranked. Other teams that received votes from the week, Clemson had the most. Missouri, second most. Kansas State. TCU, Fresno State, Kansas, Tulane, and a bunch of teams that I don't give a fuck about. <laughs> this is a good-ass AP poll. I'll say it. Clemson maybe should sneak in. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Tennessee know. should have fallen out. I, I feel like ranking Tennessee higher than Florida when they had the same record and Florida beat them is kind of weird. Yeah, sure. Um, but nonetheless, like, yeah, they were number 11, so dropping them all the way out of the top 25 doesn't make sense. Then again, you dropped Clemson out. Um, but I don't know. I, I I like this. I like this. And it, it serves very well for next week because the mashups are fucking ridiculous. Week four, going into this season, we all knew week four was the best slate of the year. And it certainly will be. Um, there is everything you could ever want. There is top ten matchups between... Number six, Ohio State. Number nine, Notre Dame. That just genuinely means something, which is a good change. Um, that's a huge matchup that I think Notre Dame's going to win. Uh, Ohio State's offense is not good. Um, you can't convince me that they are, no matter how many passing yards you feed Kyle McCord in your last game before it. Uh, Notre Dame's better. Sam Hartman's great. Audric Estime is the best running back in college football. Um, Notre Dame's going to win that game. Florida State, Clemson, so number four now, Florida State, uh, goes up against an unranked Clemson team that is 
I don't like this. I don't like that Florida State is a favorite in a close game <laughs> on the road. Florida State minus um, 2.5 on the road at Clemson scares the fuck out of me, especially because we're number four in the nation and they're unranked. That means Vegas has not given up on Clemson like the AP poll and like how all of us have. It's weird. It's scary. It's a trap. That is a trap. Fucking Death Valley is a trap this Saturday, and Florida State better not fall for it. They play at 12 p.m. on ABC. Don't miss that one. Uh, but we also have number 19, Colorado, heading to number 10, Oregon. Let's see how Dion does it on the road in a, a hostile environment like Oregon. Oregon's a 21-point favorite. 21-point favorite no for way. Oregon. Wow. Hey, Bo Nix is like that. And look, they haven't faced a running back like Bucky Irving, and they haven't faced a team like Oregon. This is going to be a good-ass game. Whether Oregon whips their ass or doesn't or Colorado wins, it's going to be a good game to watch because you get to watch Bo Nix and Bucky Irving go against this star-studded Colorado team with Coach Prime at the helm. It'll be fun. Yeah, and that one's at 3.30 on ABC, but you're going to want to flip the channels back and forth between these two games, both at 3.30, but this one on Fox, number 22 UCLA, heading to number 11 Utah. I believe Cam Rising is still out for Utah, but they remain 3-0, and getting by on the, by the skin of their teeth week by week, Utah is, and they stay at 11. UCLA... Just now moving up into the top 25, but they're significantly improving week by week. They made a change at quarterback, and it is certainly working out for them. Um, yeah, Dante Moore, the, the freshman, has been fantastic. So much better than Ethan Garbers, who was starting in the first game, I believe. Um, UCLA is totally different this year. Um, you know, they lost DTR, which sucked. But Dante Moore looks great, so you got to watch that game. But there's another game that's got to be on the TV as well at 3.30. This 3.30 slate is loaded. Ole Miss, number 15, heads to Tuscaloosa, number 13, Alabama. And we get to see Pete Golding try to defend his former team's offense in Alabama. This one is going to be quite the fucking game. And I said it before, this is Ole Miss walking into a trap. This is an Alabama team that is trending down. This is an Alabama team with no answers at quarterback. And the defense isn't as good as we thought it would be. And all of this shit. Tommy Reese is doing an inside job for Brian Kelly. I saw that on Reddit. (laughs) That, that, That Brian Kelly's former offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese is doing an inside job at Alabama as their offensive coordinator and making them bad. I could believe Ridiculous. It. I could but, believe I mean, it. hey, there's a reason for all those conspiracies, man. It's because it's such a fucking good game. <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, this is a trap. This is 100% a trap for Ole Miss. They're going to go into this game thinking that this is a bad Alabama team. We have a chance to win. Don't think you have a chance to win. Know that you have the players and the capabilities to win football games. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're playing Alabama. The second you remember that you're playing Alabama is the second you lose this fucking game. Yeah. Go out there and fucking play. Jackson Dart so, has been fantastic. We haven't even seen the best of Quinshawn Judkins because Jackson Dart is running the ball so goddamn well as a quarterback. 
it's it's insane how good this Ole Miss team has been. Do not fall for Alabama. Don't. Don't fall for it because you can genuinely win this game because if we saw Alabama being purely coached and purely played against Texas, I know Ole Miss can do the same thing. They just have to play it right because Texas played it right. Exactly. So shout out Brock. Yeah, shout out Brock. We're, we're, I'm sure he'll be in Tuscaloosa um, <laughs> watching that game because, and I'm sure I'm going to get plenty of texts about how scared he is. Um, but don't worry, I'll be there to console him. Uh, other games, though, this weekend, we also have number 14, Oregon State, going up against number 21, Washington State. This one, also a great matchup. Cam Ward has been one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, and nobody's fucking talking about him because he goes to Washington State. The kid's got 986 yards and nine touchdowns in the first three games of the season. My goodness. Yeah, the kid is killing it, and nobody even cares because in his conference, they also have Shador Sanders, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, fucking... Cam Rising, who's not even playing right now. DJ Uwangalale is the quarterback he's going to face next week. The Pac-12 Ooh. is fucking loaded. Like, it is, that is insane how many good quarterbacks are in the Pac-12. It's too bad it's going to be the Pac-2 after next year. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Other games. Oh, number 24, Iowa heads to number 7, Penn State. They take on... Uh, a fierce Penn State team with a fantastic quarterback, Drew Aller. He has been amazing. Just, I, I got a feeling that uh, Iowa ain't scoring 25. Sorry, Brian Ferentz. Um, but, yeah, yeah, Penn State is going to just put the whooping on them. They, they look so goddamn good. I said it. Yeah, how about, goddamn I mean, good. I'm just I'm just ready for another game at Beaver Stadium, man. Yeah. That, that place Always. is um, ridiculous. It is amazing. And I, I guarantee you Penn State's saving that wide out for when Michigan comes to town. For sure. Uh, but your top-ranked teams, uh, they're playing – Georgia's playing UAB. Woo! What a fun time. 42-point hey. favorites against Alabama-Birmingham. It's um, okay. For the first half, we'll keep it like a two-possession game, and then they'll probably end up blowing them out. Yeah. Uh, and then Michigan plays my favorite – college football team from Piscataway, New Jersey, Rutgers. The only college football team from Piscataway, New Jersey, I'd assume. <laughs> um, only a 24-point favorite. So, uh, wow. yeah, shout-out Greg Schiano and Rutgers. Um, I think that's that's really it for, like, the top-ranked teams. Like, Duke plays UConn. That one doesn't matter. Uh, Oklahoma-Cincinnati's not a bad matchup. Dylan Gabriel has really been showing out. He's... Uh, I think top 10 in Heisman odds. So um, wow. look out for that. Texas plays Baylor, but Baylor has really sucked. Um, so Texas probably takes that one handedly. North Carolina plays Pittsburgh coming off of a loss in the uh, backyard brawl against West Virginia. That one was great. Doing a little remix to Sweet Caroline. Some suck dick pit or eat shit pit, whatever they said. <laughs> I love West Virginia pit. It's a fantastic rivalry. Um, yes. Otherwise, yeah, bunch of college football to watch this weekend. And, um, dude, we've already gone two and a half hours. I think we're going to have to skip the prem. Yeah, that's fine. Well, I okay. mean, we're going to hit it, you know, um, next week, of course, yeah. with the preview instead of the recap. But, I mean, yeah. hey, it'll, it'll be okay. 
Yeah, it'll be all right. We we talk enough about the past week's games in the recap that it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Ooh. that means that it's now questions time. Oh, yeah. My so, favorite part. Let's fucking get into it. All right. Yep. Um, You want me to go first? I feel like I always let you go first. Uh, yeah, you can, okay. you can have it. Um, what team in the NFL is proving you wrong the most this season? Wow. Um, proving me wrong the most. Maybe the commanders, I think would be a good shout. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, being an NFC beast team, um, know they're they, they have it pretty tough for them um as far as th- they simply just do not have the quarterback that um the other teams in the nfc beast have but i mean sam howell's been like your question asked proving me wrong um so yeah i'd probably go with the commanders they right. look really good yeah i think the team that's proving me wrong the most and like i've, I've made you know a few egregious takes uh in our previews but <laughs> i think the rams are proving me wrong very badly. Their defense is good. Their offense is phenomenal. Didn't think Matt Stafford would have this kind of comeback. Didn't think that they'd have these key contributors while missing uh, Cooper Cup, but they just do. <laughs> I don't know why, but they do. They have a bunch of guys on this team, and they've certainly proved me wrong. And I mean, I, another one I think I could go with would be the Cleveland Browns. Uh, obviously, with Nick Chubb, um, they you know, I knew that they had good pieces, but like with the Browns, it's kind of one of those things where the past couple of years, you know, like I just said, they've had the pieces, but it hadn't come together for them. Yeah. This season, it looked like it really was until the Chubb injury. So uh, the Browns, you know, before week two were proving me wrong. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Um, your NFL question for me. So, um, yes, th- this is more of a request, but okay. you, you did, um, Actually, I can form it into a question. If you were to build your all-time NFL secondary, who would be on it? I need three corners, two safeties. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, Well, give me Dion, of course. Have to. Uh, Give me... Mm, Give me Mel Blunt. Ooh, okay. Steeler action. Yep. Um. Give me Brian Dawkins. Safety. Safety. Oh, give me Prime Richard Sherman at corner. I loved okay. Prime Richard Sherman, like Legion of Boom, Richard Sherman. Yeah. Um, okay. and then give me Troy Palomalo. All right. So you went Palomalu and Dawkins, Dawkins at safety. Safety and then Prime Richard Sherman, Dion, and Mel Blunt. Mel Blunt. No Jalen Ramsey. No FSU guy. No. No, I took my FSU guy with Dion. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Gotcha. What well what is yours? I have to know. Uh the safeties would definitely be <coughs> Troy and Ed. There's no question about Troy and yeah, Ed Reed. That's fair. I would probably like, I, I don't know. I've always liked the position cornerback. So, like, I would go, like, prime Josh Norman. I know that's kind of obscure, but Josh Norman was really good when he yeah. was good. Um, I don't want to take any of the same guys you took. Um, 
Give me Revis Island. Definitely want to put some wide receivers on Revis Island. Um, in my last corner. Hmm. Give me Antonio Cromartie. Nice. A lot of kids yeah. on this team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of kids on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start. Uh, my MLB question, what wild card team has the best shot at making it to the World Series? Oh, okay. Let me let me World Series or no MLB playoff picture. No, we just went over it. I wanna I wanna be able to look at all my options here. Yeah. You said a wild card team. Yeah. Uh, wow. So any of the I teams like... that are in contention uh, right now. Okay, so even in contention. Yeah. Yeah. At the moment. Because we don't know who's really going to make it yet. I, I don't know. I think I like the Diamondbacks out of all of them. Um, I think when the Diamondbacks are hot, the Diamondbacks are hot. And, yeah. you know, assuming that they would probably play – actually, they wouldn't play the Dodgers to get there. Damn. Uh, maybe I'd take it back because they'd have to see – At the moment, they would. Probably Atlanta. No, at the moment, <laughs> they would play the Dodgers, and then they would play the winner of – Atlanta versus either the Brewers or Cubs. Okay, in that case, then, yeah, the Diamondbacks. I, I think when the Diamondbacks are hot, they're hot. They have the pitching that's good enough. We just have to find that perfect consistency to be able yeah. to make it. How about you? you I think? think the obvious pick is the Rays, Um, just because they're, like, the third best team in baseball, and yeah. they're a wild card team. Um, It's super unfortunate for them. <laughs> but yeah. they've been fantastic and like they're they're easily the second best team in the American League by leaps and bounds like by eight games over the Astros and they're a wild card team like it, it makes sense that they would make it if they do okay um my MLB question go hey Otani unprofessional or professional clearing out the locker room before the season's over I don't know if it was his choice. Okay. Elaborate. Uh, I have a feeling that as soon as the Angels told him that his season was over, or the doctors told him that his season was over, the Angels were like, okay, well, if you're not going to be on the roster, we need space because we're bringing up prospects and you're not going to be here next year. You think it was just as simple as that? Yeah. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't see Shohei as like a petty guy. I think he knows he's leaving. The Angels know yeah. he's leaving. I think there was a mutual <laughs> understanding that if he's shut down for the season, he can show up to the games. He doesn't need a locker. Yeah, I, that's fair. I just, I, I guess I was kind of um, only reading the headlines and it just, it, it kind of surprised me. Just, yeah. just the headline, face value. Um, I'm surprised by how bad of a light the headlines put Shohei in, considering how much all of them suck his dick. Oh, yeah. That's a good point as well. Yeah, I, I think it was weird how they did that. Um, I went ahead and wrote you a, a soccer question since we didn't get okay. to talk about it instead of a college football question. Um, That's what I did. Okay, yeah. so so who's coming out of the group of death? PSG, Dortmund, Newcastle, Milan. Uh, PSG got the win over Dortmund today, so they're up. They're they're leading the group after Dor or, uh, after Newcastle and AC Milan drew. I think 
Newcastle have a better chance than Dortmund. Those will be the two teams that I think get pushed out. I think it'll be a PSG Milan. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's but fair. Newcastle Newcastle's going to be there though. Um this you know, draw, I, this draw gives me a lot of confidence for their run in the Champions League. Well, for sure. There this yeah. the, the team it looked exactly like how I wanted them to look in every Premier League match they've played this year. And they drew against a seemingly unstoppable AC Milan team. Yeah. Except for Inter Milan. Inter Milan yes. did kind of fucking dick them down, yeah. but it's fine. <laughs> oh, also, uh, Barcelona went fucking crazy today. I think they won 5-0. Against who? Antwerp, I believe. Uh, yeah. RIP. Tough start for Antwerp. Uh, oh. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. Okay, perfect. Um, Grayson, let's say in this fantasy world, you are the manager of Newcastle. Okay. Who are you signing in January? If, um, if at all. Uh, I think defensive depth, any kind of defensive depth we can add. Um, there's not anybody in particular I'm looking at, but – you know, with with the guys that we saw like get hurt or at least banged up against Brighton, like you know we're missing um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Jesus, uh oh, uh Kraft. Yeah. Um, we're missing him, uh, in the game against Brighton, and this defense looked like shit. But then you go and you look at how they played against you know, a, a very good AC Milan team. And once again, you're, you're left wondering like what, why couldn't this team have just done this in the prem? Because with our, a real four back line of, of Trippier, Cher, Botman and Burn, Trippier and Burn were two of the best players on the field. And they played so well, and Cher was doing exactly what I've wanted him to do every game in the Prem, which is be physical in the box and make runs up and and make these long passes into the final third and just take shot attempts when you can get a chance to be a little bit outside the box. Botman did all right. Not great. Sean Longstaff played great in the midfield. Um, I believe it's Sean. I could be. Yeah, yeah. Sean Longstaff played great in the midfield. Huge, decisive tackles late in the game. Um, Sandro Tonali wasn't his best. I, I think that playing at the San Siro got to his head a little bit. Um, like, the the fans were chanting his name essentially the entire game. Um, <laughs> yeah. They love that man, which I respect. Um, I, I, I don't know how I feel about Callum Wilson because he's kind of the only reason we won last week. Um but it's also like, is he really that good? Probably yeah. not. I don't know how I feel about Alexander Isaac because he's looked like shit all season outside of that opening game. Um, love Anthony Gordon. Like, I don't have a lot of guys that I'm looking at to, to sign. I just think the depth is where we need to go. I like that. Um, if the question was flipped... Olivier Giroud or David De Gea? Those would be the two players I'd want to sign as yeah. Chelsea. 
um, David De Gea, just because like he's a player that I don't I don't really feel has um, pressure to start anywhere anymore, and he could be better than Roberto Sanchez, who's been decent. Yeah. Um, Olivier Giroud, I think, is just more a sure option at striker than Nicholas Jackson, and also another player that Chelsea can bench without really having any re, um, repercussions. Yeah, I, so I, I guess. That. In saying that, both of those transfers would also would be like potential starters, but also depth oriented as well. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I actually have a do you remember before we end things? Okay. Here. I love. So I, I had recently come across this story, actually about a couple hours ago. This is something that I never knew about a very very good Steelers player. Listen, you remember Rod Woodson's nineteen ninety five season? Uh, no, it's not alive. I'm sure you remember Rod Woodson, though. I do. Of course. So, in week one, the Steelers played Detroit. He tore his ACL week one trying to tackle Barry Sanders. Kind of interesting there. He told Coach uh, Hall of Famer um, Bill Cower, the coach of the Steelers at the time, do not put me on the IR. <laughs> okay. 19 weeks later, he comes back in January to play in the Super Bowl versus Dallas. He was limited to 12 snaps, primarily on third downs only. His 12th snap, he defended a pass that was intended for Michael Irvin, stood up, and immediately pointed at his knee. He got taken out of the game, and the Steelers ended up losing 27-17. to But how about Rod Woodson, man? Yeah, that's I've crazy. Never, I've never even heard of that before. A no. player coming back from an ACL um, in the same year. Yeah, no, that's it, it, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just I had to throw that out there because I was like, I've never even heard this story. There's no way that a lot of people know about that. So yeah. I wanted to I wanted to tell it to you and the viewers. Yeah, so, that was awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I think that does it for us, guys. Um, another long one. Another marathon. Two hours, 45 oh, yeah. minutes. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you guys. Uh, uh, episode did really well on YouTube uh, on Friday. So I appreciate that. Um, and, and that's kind of the preferred way of viewing it now, now that we're on video. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, the people that listen to this in their car, listen to this wherever, um, you'll probably just keep listening on the podcast platform. I'm I'm the same way. Most majority of the podcasts that I listen to that I really want to pay attention to, I listen to them in the car. So however you take in those podcasts, you do it however you'd like. But when you do it, if you're listening on YouTube, go like, subscribe, comment, um, and uh, turn on notifications as well. Um, because if you don't have the notifications on, then you won't see that we're premiering, um, which means you won't even know it went up on YouTube. Um, and then go over to the podcast platform if you're listening there. Give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen on. And then uh, go to that link tree. You can find it on just about everything we've got. And uh, go follow everything. TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. Subreddit, everything. Go ahead and join that stuff and um, keep up to date on everything. We've got the MLB playoffs coming up. So a lot of content there. Um, We've got... Obviously, college football and NFL going on. We've got the Champions League starting up. There is so much to talk about, and we're just going to keep doing it. 
So, um, yeah, thank you to you guys for um, all the support. And, uh, yeah, make sure you tell your friends because uh, got to get on board. There's a lot of football of ahead of us, and uh, we need everybody to hear about it. So, uh, yeah, make sure you're sharing the episodes. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, commenting, following, five-starring, whatever you want to do. Uh, do it. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us, guys. See you all next week. Or, no, later this week on Friday this week. with Luke again. Woo! Peace. Peace.